Hi, and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We usually produce a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, but for the month of October, to celebrate Halloween, we're bringing you a five-part series featuring in-depth reviews and analysis of the entire Halloween franchise, horror movie podcast style. So for episodes 27 through 31, you'll get a new podcast released every Friday in October, ending on Friday, October 31st, Halloween Day. And this show that you're listening to is episode 30. It's our fourth installment in this five-part series. And tonight we'll be covering Rob Zombie's Halloween from 2007 and Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 from 2009. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from uh, just outside Philadelphia, PA. Wolfman Josh. Welcome, men. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's so nice of you to be here. Are, are you liking this hardcore Halloween podcasting we're doing in October? Uh, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm sounding like a crazy person because I'm so conflicted movie to movie. It's like my credibility's gone down majorly <laughs> during the recording of these episodes. No, no you know what? I, you know, I do pick up on how afflicted you seem during your ratings and stuff. But I read it, Josh, as you're just that committed to giving great scores. And so I really actually admire it. Okay, everyone listen to Jay because I sound like an insane person. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, here a couple weeks ago, we had this man on to help us review Halloween 2. And he is a Halloween fanatic, to say the least. He helps keep horror alive. And he also plays in the new indie horror film, Honey Spider. He is the original Creepshire himself. We welcome back the host of the Land of the Creeps, Greg Amortis. <laughs> What's up, Jay? What's up, Dot Wolfman? Yes. <laughs> We're glad you're here tonight, buddy. Thanks for being here. I would not have missed it, buddy. (laughs) All right. And then this next man, he is a regular guest on Horror Movie Podcast. He often helps us review the new horror releases that are in theaters. And he is the host of the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast. We welcome back one sick puppy. Hey, guys. Happy Halloween. (laughs) Yes. And back at you. All right, guys. Let's get this underway. I'm actually kind of pumped. So, listeners out there, and I'm sure you've been uh, hopefully following along thus far, but if this is your first time listening to this extravaganza here, we just cover everything full out. So, there are spoilers for the, the whole franchise, but specifically for the film that we're talking about. So, just know that. And without any further delay, let's move into our feature review of Rob Zombie's Halloween. Tonight's brutal murders was described by police as Manson-like in its viciousness. Three people brutally murdered and a 10-year-old boy being held in custody. You haven't said a word for 15 years. This summer, Rob Zombie unleashes a unique vision of a legendary tale. Okay, so Halloween was released on August 31st, 2007, 
Um, by the way, just a little quick head count. Who was there for that? At the uh, premiere? Well, at the at the theater on opening weekend for that. Oh, I was there oh. opening night. <laughs> I was there first screening the first day. I knew, I knew it. I knew it. I don't think I was. I, I can't recall. No. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was later for me too. I have to say, blasphemer. Well, I'll t- I was a little bit mad. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what happened um, at the college where I was reviewing films. I was the second film critic, and so the lead guy got all the press screenings and stuff. And so he reviewed it for the paper, and so I was uh, pouting, I guess. So I know uh, that, they that, didn't know what they had. <laughs> thanks, you're too kind. So this one was written and directed uh, by Rob Zombie, and just we'll stop right there too. So Rob Zombie, director of House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, and The Lords of Salem, for instance, want to just a little go around here. Yay or nay on Rob Zombie? You guys fans or not? One hundred percent. I'm definitely a fan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Me too. Uh, huge fan. Huge musically and directorially. Yeah. I'm a fan too. He does a good job, but what about Lords of Salem? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I mean, listen to Land of the Creeps. That's one of my yeah, favorite we, we, of his. That's right. We we covered it on Land of the Creeps, and nice. I was expecting it. Um, I enjoyed it. I I did like it. I mean, I could definitely see why he he tried to go in a new direction with it, and I can definitely mm-hmm. see why a lot of the people who were you know used to his used to his movies would have reacted so negatively to it because it was right. very very different from mm-hmm. anything he had done before. Mhm. Yeah. I recommend the book. Read the book then watch the movie if you've not watched it because the yeah, book I is, just got the book but I haven't read it so don't spoil it. Oh, the book. I'll go ahead and just tell you the book's like way better than the movie and the movie's awesome but read the book and then you'll understand the movie a little better. Wow. Okay. Well, I wanted to kind of get everybody's temperature on Rob Zombie because I think that's important just to see how you guys feel about him before we go into the film itself. So that's good. Everybody are everybody's fans here. So this screenplay was also, um, of course, you know, given credit there because he lists the 1978 script by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill because obviously it is heavily influenced by their original screenplay. So, Rob Zombie's Halloween opens with showing us more about young Michael Myers' life, basically his backstory at 10 years old, and we see that he comes from a very dysfunctional home and that he's already inclined toward deranged behavior. And after Michael Myers stabs his sister Judith um, and dispatches a few others as well, he is institutionalized for 15 years when he escapes and returns to Haddonfield once again. So, very similar premise. And my first question, just to kick this discussion off, is aimed at Greg Amortis. Because mm. I've heard you talk about this before, and it's very interesting. When you first saw this, I, I've heard you say that you were angry, you didn't like it, but you have since warmed up to it, and you like it now. So, my questions are... Why were you mad at first, and then what changed? First was the initial viewing was because I went into it with the wrong frame of mind. I went in expecting John Carpenter's Halloween with with zombie directing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when I went in, it's a totally different film. I mean, 100% different film. So watching it, 
I was uncomfortable. It was one of the first movies I literally, probably the only movie I almost walked out of. <laughs> literally halfway through it, I said, this is crap. I'm leaving. I'm done. Stayed to the end, got out, and I was pissed. I was like, this is total garbage. Got it. Well, I got a question. Came. Yes, sir. If uh, if that's how you, if, if you went into this looking to see uh, John Carpenter's Halloween remade by Rob Zombie, how did you feel about Gus Van Zandt's remake of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho? Did you feel, because a lot of people are like, why the hell did you make that movie if, it, if you're going to make it just the same? But it seems like that's what you wanted going into your you know, sacred franchise, so to speak. Well, yeah, You're- definitely that. Psycho's kind of its own beast because I do love Psycho. It's one of my top ten movies all time. So, but I didn't have the the privilege of going to seeing it in the theater, you know, or anything like that. So it was a totally different atmosphere, different scenario for me. The remake of Psycho is crap. I mean, they wrong cast the whole nine yards. That movie's just garbage. We don't but, have time uh, to argue about that right now, guys, because. I will defend that movie to the death. So. <laughs> I, I, Let's save that I, for another discussion. Man, we'll have to do that one because yeah. I think it's garbage. <laughs> but for me with Halloween was because it is my sacred movie. It's my number one movie of all time, cinematic, any genre. It's my favorite movie of all time. So going into it, I've seen the original Halloween, you know, thousand times. And it just gets better every time I watch it. So when I went into it, I went in with that frame of mind. It pissed me off. Now, when it released on DVD for the first time, of course, I went ahead and bit the bullet, bought the movie, watched it. I said, I'll give it a second chance. I bought it, watched it, and I said, well, it got a little better. And since, I've probably watched it at least 10 times, probably more than that, and watched it just two nights ago, and it's grown on me. It's, it, I don't know why, Jay, that it's done that, okay. but it's one of those movies, first initial viewing, I literally was like, this is garbage. But now that I've watched it, got myself realizing this is not John Carpenter. This is a whole new uh, reboot of the franchise. Okay, I look at it differently now, and I'll let you know later on what I think about it. But, yeah, first initial, Jay, you you, you nailed it. I've said it a million times. I I thought it was pure garbage. Right. And I'm glad it was cool to hear you say reboot because we're going to talk about that here shortly. But um, Wolfman, Josh, you're in a, a similar boat because Halloween is, is your favorite film, that and the thing. But how did you feel about it? What was your initial reaction? I was really upset that they were making it, um, mostly because I and this is not going to be a popular opinion either, probably less popular than my psycho opinion. But I'm not a huge fan of House of a Thousand Corpses. And so when I heard Rob Zombie was, you know, touching my favorite film of all time in a place, you know, in the in the swimsuit area, I thought, okay, this is not, <laughs> this is not good. And um, and and the thing is, is okay. Like I, I am, as we've heard during the series, I am conflicted about the sequels. Um, I like the whole series. I like three. There's even things I like about six. There are things I like about Resurrection. But I, I am conflicted about them. But what those didn't do that this one was going to do was try to touch the original film because at least I always had that original. And so f- to me to go back and try to remake the first one was a bigger deal mm-hmm. than just doing another bad sequel. And um, and so I was really worried. And 
I had never seen The Devil's Rejects because I disliked House of a Thousand Corpses, and someone said to me, no, you really need to watch The Devil's Rejects. You have no idea how gifted a filmmaker this guy is. And so I, I put that film in, and I, my mind was completely blown. <clears throat> I, I did not even see how the same guy could have made the movies, in my opinion. And I have grown to appreciate House of a Thousand Corpses more since, but I, will, I do believe that Devil's Rejects is on a whole new level in terms of filmmaking you know, yeah. prowess and strength. Definitely. And so then this was like a week before the movie came out. Then all of a sudden I was the most excited I could be about <laughs> seeing what he was going to do with this because he had that 70s grindhouse thing down pat. And mm. so I knew he was going to nail it, and I didn't know that they were going to update you know, the timeline and the story. As you know, Jason, I avoid trailers and stuff like that. So yes, mm-hmm. I didn't realize. I thought he was going to remake it in the seventies. That was exciting to me, um, and I had a kind of a similar feeling to Greg. I, I think every other scene, I was like annoyed and then excited, and then annoyed and excited. But I will say, this is a movie that's grown on me tremendously, and every time I see it, I like it more. And now it's one of my favorite horror movies, um, even though. At the time, when I walked out of the theater the first time, I was pretty conflicted about it. Mm. Um, I really, I really care for it a lot now. Okay, and one sick puppy. Uh, what What about you? And and specifically, I'd like to know because you're a thinking man. I know that about you. And so, Bullshit. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. But no, seriously, if a, if a film doesn't need to be remade like the original Halloween, for example. I mean, how does that affect a film like this, even if it's a great reboot? Well, I wouldn't say that the original Halloween needed to be remade, but uh, to screw myself out of ever being on Land of the Creeps, there's a lot of room for improvement. It wasn't a bad movie, (laughs) but it's by no means the... The sacred cow that everybody holds it up to be. I personally find that, uh, you know, with everything new that Rob Zombie added, there's in almost every way his version is better. And this is one of the rare instances where we actually got a good product from a reboot as opposed to all this other crap that they normally try to spoon feed us at fast food pace. And I just, you know, it's one of those things that are constantly going to divide people. You know, as people like Greg are going to say, you know, it didn't need to be done. There's no way they could do any better. And there's people like me that are going to say, yeah, I don't really mind. And I, I like what I got better from Rob Zombie. So, you know, just the, the fact that it generates the discussion in the community uh, that – it, around this movie in particular seems to be fairly intelligent conversation, I think is is worth the film that they used. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, um, Sick Puppy, are you, what is your age group? You don't have to say your exact age, but are you in the 20, 30, 40, 50? Oh, I'm about to hit 40 this year. So. Okay, so you're the same age as me. Okay, I, I was just curious. I, mean, I was, yeah. <laughs> I know the modern Jay, I, I really believe this, and I think, Wolfman, you might agree with this. I know, and I've said this, the modern age has been fed the torture-slash-porn-horror kind of deal with the saws and, you know, the blood, the guts, the gorier, the better kind of genre. So I've found in podcasting with different people that 
the modern audiences expect gore. So when they go back to watch a bloodless original Halloween, they seem to prefer a gorier Halloween. So I know what you're saying. I still say you're a blasphemer and you're you're dumb as hell. <laughs> but with that said, I respect the dumb as hell podcast. That's not what yeah. it's called. That's no, not no, what it's, it's called, dead Rick. as hell. It's dead as hell. <laughs> no, but I do respect you. I understand, and I I will never badmouth you, buddy. I'd definitely have you on Land of the Creeps, but I, I can see the new genre of of fans, the newer era, kind of preferring the gore over the the story. So with that, yeah, no, it's, it's, I don't it's, hate you. I don't hate you, buddy. Oh, okay. But uh, <laughs> now, in particular, the the gore is the the least important part of me. To me, I really appreciated the fact that he boosted the story, and uh, you know, he could have he could have duplicated the kills from the first. It's it's really the the update and the the new depth to the characters and the well, extra he- stuff that we got to see that that wasn't in there. We had to. You know the the stuff that Carpenter left to our imagination. A lot of it, Rob Zombie told us what he'd been imagining for thirty years, well, and I, that's what I enjoyed the most about the movie. It, to me, it feels like Rob Zombie. You know, Jay, as we've been talking about these movies, you've asked us to separate them in our minds so we can talk about them individually. Mm-hmm. Rob Zombie clearly didn't do that. I mean, I think mm-hmm. people talk a lot about the backstory as being his major contribution to it, but I think one thing. And I guess this fits into backstory, but it's not, you know, the first hour of the movie is all set in the past. I think something that this movie does um, that's kind of huge is that it basically takes all the information we know about Michael from the second movie and makes that part of the first movie. And I think you almost forget that um, as someone who's seen all the movies because you're not used to, you know, you, you're used to thinking about Michael in that way and, right. and Laurie in that way. But it's a huge move, I think, to um, to put that all on Front Street and make that part of the story. Oh, Zombie had huge, huge gonads to do this film. Huge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I give him that. He had great fruits down there, buddy. It was daring. So, Dr. Shock, I know that you're typically a man, generally speaking, who does not like backstory explanations for why a, uh, a monster is as he is. And so, um, what are your feelings, buddy? Well, okay, with with this movie, it's interesting because it, that was one of the things that bothered me the most about it when I first saw it, was going so much into the backstory. Each time I've seen it afterwards, it's bothered me a little bit less because I see what Rob Zombie was going for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something about the first one where, you know, when, when Loomis was saying, you look into his eyes and it's pure evil. Right. That you didn't know why, it just was. Maybe it was always, maybe Michael Myers always was pure evil. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But there was something, there was, there, there, were, there was something that, I found there was something strong to that. There was something that really gave the character, uh, like this, this level of, of menace that you're you just like, okay, this guy's just evil. He's just, that's it. And we don't know why, but that's what he is. Um, well, Rob Zombie shows us why he explains or he gives us a backstory shows us okay here's his upbringing here's the people he's surrounded by you know um as a kid um so he he gives a a look into that but again it doesn't bother me now like it did the first time i saw yeah like the like the remake of black christmas Mm mm-hmm because I don't think they did it well. I don't think they gave that character you know that that character in the original Black Christmas when he's on the phone 
he's just creepy with the things he's saying mm-hmm. and what he's going after people. Yeah. In the later one, you know, in the remake, they got to tell you, okay, well, here's why. Here he is with his family. Blah, blah, blah. And it just didn't work. You know, it mm-hmm. really took something away from that movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I don't know that that in this Halloween, I don't think it does take it away now. I, I still kind of prefer the mystery and of not knowing. But I do see what Rob Zombie was going for. And I think in this version, it, it actually worked. Well, I think if you're going to actually reboot something, uh, and I think the effect of the backstory in Rob Zombie's movie really did this effectively was, you know, after all these movies, it's, it's no longer this guy that nobody knows anything about in overalls, you know, walking or walking around killing people. It's Michael Myers. And he has become such an icon that Rob Zombie showed you where he came from and stripped all those years of celebrity away and made him human again, made him a person. And the creep factor was able to come back because it wasn't just, um, you know, Michael's going to show up and not get killed. And, you know, he's the Druid sent him and all this kind of crap. He stripped (laughs) it all down. And by showing that backstory at the very beginning, you don't know what's coming. You don't know exactly what's going to happen like you did before. That's true. I mean, I'm a little bit of a divided mind. Like, on one hand, I think the backstory serves this well in that we see the um, kind of the legacy unfold of a, a total just psychopathic serial killer. And, and, and I think it works on that level. But for me, it's problematic. And I'm ultimately a critic of the backstory because... I think it humanizes him way too much. It's just kind of what you said. It humanizes him and and it puts him in a world of just common criminals and crazies. And he's not just this behemoth force of evil because at what point does he become more than a man? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's not a force of evil in this movie. I think that's what I missed initially because I wanted to see... I hated the performance of Dig when I first saw the movie. That was one of my, and I'm, I don't remember how to pronounce his last name, so I'm just saying Dig. But he was one of, one of my biggest distractions from the film when I first saw it because I just think this kid never gets to that place where you look in his eyes and you see pure evil. He seems damaged and mm. he seems messed messed up. But he's but he also has these moments where he just seems like this sweet kid who is has some psychological problems. But it's different than that feeling of like a black hole inside his eyes that, you know, the original films kind of, um, you know, lead to you to believe Michael is. And I think for me, yeah, I mean, Psycho, the remake of Psycho shows you what happens when you do an exact remake. <laughs> it's, it's good. I mean, leave it alone, Josh, leave it alone. I'm just saying, I got I'm your back, saying, man. I got your back. <laughs> I'm just saying every, I will just say every technical, you know, Part from you know the film stock to the lighting, all all those things are actually improved upon in in Van Sant's film. But the net you know value for ninety nine percent of the audience is not going to be better; it's going to be worse. And so you know there's nothing to be gained by doing that kind of a remake. Ultimately, I mean, I I defend it because I think it was a great film experiment. It almost it's almost good just because it gives us uh, an example of that that we can discuss it when we talk about remakes. What Rob Zombie does is. He makes completely his own movie for the first half of the movie. And then he takes this classic. And in the second half, he does closer to that shot for shot remake. But he, you know, what he's created that comes before that 
adds so much more to the second half, all this depth and it, and you know, and, and intrigue that you know wouldn't have been there. But I think getting back to that idea of uh, Michael being just a force of evil, I like that. I mean, I want to see a different version. If I'm watching a remake, give me something new, and I think it's cool that you're able, you know, almost going back to Peeping Tom, you're yeah. able to see the humanity in this character. And his motivations, knowing that he is Laurie's brother from the beginning of part one, are completely different. It's a, com- it's a completely different character in this movie. What he's going for, what he's trying to make happen, and what he eventually accomplishes momentarily at the end of the film of bringing his family back together is, uh, is just completely new for Michael Myers. And I think that's super exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Dave Fair scares, scares the crap out of me. I think he's definitely evil. He's he's creepy as hell as, as far as i'm concerned yeah i don't know i don't buy it i don't i don't buy him as an actor and i feel bad saying that um but because i think there are moments and especially if you watch the behind the scenes doc which is incredible like oh, beat out only by the uh, devil's rejects documentary <laughs> the uh <laughs> halloween documentary is incredible um Four just because long. it shows you so much right. of what happens <laughs> on a set like it shows you every moment yeah. And and when you see this kid, like like I say, in real life, he does seem kind of damaged, and it's that's sad and scary. Um, but you do see that he's also just a normal kid that wants to eat candy and stuff, you know. And he's just you know. And there's these weird moments where Rob Zombie's talking about him, and he's like, he wasn't interested in the in the boobies. He did like the scenes where he got to kill people. So like, he is scary still. But I don't see that. <laughs> that th- I think when Doctor Loomis talks about him in the original you know, four to six movies, he's talking about this, like, you know, this blank slate, this dark hole. And I don't ever see that in Dag. You know, occasionally you see the rage, but you never see that evil that kind of shows up in the second half of this movie. And that's one part of the problem I have with it. But I think the changing of his motivation is super fascinating. Well, real quick, just for a clarification, because, um, I, I hear terms remake and I hear reboot. And on Horror Movie Podcast, we try to be academic sometimes and sort this out. And I went to Kyle Bishop, Dr. Walking Dead, who's one of our hosts. And I said, okay, Kyle, def- <laughs> define or distinguish this. And he says the way he uses the terms is a remake is a film. It's a single text, just a single film, whereas a reboot he says, is a series where you have a, a system of texts. And, and that's what Kyle Bishop says. Now, I also consulted the man that I think is the foremost film scholar in the world right now living, and that's David Bordwell. And that he says that rebooting modernizes the mythos by reinterpreting it in a thematically serious and graphically daring way. And so for that reason, because we have a second film of this and which, you know, plays to Kyle's point and because I think it is graphically daring and thematically serious, I would call this a reboot if we're being specific. What do you guys say? Yeah, definitely. definitely. And I thought you were going to mention me right there. I thought I was giving the answer. (laughs) I I, I mean, I'm sorry, Jay, but (laughs) no, for me, I agree. The reboot is like you said for me, is starting a whole new series somewhat, rebooting it. 
that's my definition. Definition be like the Friday the 13th. You know, they came out with the remake a couple years ago, and I know there's talking number two, and it's it's just rebooting a whole franchise up. Mm-hmm. Where to me, a remake is like a one and done. You remake a film like they did the thing, uh, like they did. Well, I can't really put Chainsaw Massacre in there because they've like remade that like thirty times now. But but I mean <laughs> something like the thing. You know, that's a remake. Where a reboot would be like this or Friday Thirteenth or Elm Street or whatever. So I mean, there are for two me, things. I'd have hoped this would have been a remake instead of a reboot. Um, right. First of all, at least based on. Um, <laughs> at least based on Dr. Walking Dead's interpretation. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think what's most successful about it is that other take on the word reboot that, you know, the intensity that's brought to the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, what do you guys make of the fact that it seems like they avoid putting the year in this movie? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, it's almost like they went to great lengths to avoid like showing you, what year it was? What, what do you think is behind that? I I don't know that he really even thought that out. I mean, because when I was watching it, rewatching it last night, I was looking at it at okay, this don't match up. You know, in the original John Carpenter, he was six, and this one he's ten. Mm-hmm. You know, there's fifteen years later. Now, you know, Doctor Loomis is walking around with a cell phone, and you know, the timelines are really not adding up like they did in original Halloween. So I don't know that he really put a lot of time into necessarily the years, uh, the the time period itself, just more of the fact that this kid was 10, 15 years later, he's 25. Right. You know, I don't know. I mean, me personally, I could be wrong, but that's the way I look at it. Well, the, the reason I think it was a legitimate choice is because in the entire series thus far, They've always been really um, specific about the years, and they've listed the years. And in these films, they don't list the years. So I almost thought, well, maybe maybe that's a deliberate choice, but uh, I don't know. I think it is. I think he was trying to get away with having a 70s vibe when, <laughs> when he's a kid and having cell phones in the modern world when he's an adult. So he said, well, let's just not define it. Yeah. I think the, the great thing about that is it makes it more timeless. So. Mm-hmm. It does. It appeals to all genres of ages. So, you know, he's able to bring in the the technology world and he's able to bring in the 70s world. So he's hitting all demographics when he's doing this film. And in order to keep Laurie a teenager, basically. Yes. You know, he had to do it that way because otherwise, it, you know, the character should be Tyler Maine's age and the way yeah. he's depicted, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Well, that no, that was good. Thanks for talking about that because that's something I've been thinking about, guys. One of my biggest criticisms of this film, and please feel free to you know attack me or whatever. But <laughs> oh, I will. The the introduction there with the, I mean, they're obviously trying to show us how awful this white trash family is. They're terribly dysfunctional and so forth. But but it is so far over the top that it almost becomes like a. Uh, an SNL caricature, like like on Saturday Night Live or something. I mean, it is not naturalistic at all, and and the dialogue is just so far beyond that. It, it's it's extremely irritating to me. You know, any any time I see it, what? How do you guys feel? 
I thought you were going to say think, the, you've lived a very sheltered life, my friend. See, I thought you were going to say the opposite, Jay. I thought you were going to say back home in West Virginia. This doesn't <laughs> see, this seems totally normal. <laughs> no, that's a, see. Here's the thing. I've been around. Um, believe it or not, I know you guys don't believe this. I mean, I've been around uh, rough crowds before, and people along <laughs> these lines, and even for people along these lines, they do not talk like this. Seriously, it, it just feels so false to me. But what? What? I do you, think you're 100 percent wrong. <laughs> okay, tell I me. I mean, I've not, I've not known anybody like that. But I don't know that I'd go so far as to say there aren't people like that. Well, I was oh, just there's definitely people that way. But I mean, it's not your norm. I mean, there's definitely to me, and, and I, I've been around it. Trust me. I mean, from the south, you. This is regular, so <laughs> I mean, I've been around families like this, but not necessarily that hardcore. You know what I mean with yeah. the Ron White character? I mean, that, they, it was overboard, and I think it was Rob Zombie's way of let's show the fans I'm not doing a PG Halloween. I'm going to give you straight up horror. I'm giving you grit, grime, dirt from the '70s, and I'm gonna throw it at you right off the bat. In the making of the film, he says that he started out with a a certain style, which is more of a handheld, you know, style. And then he goes into the Panaglide, the real smooth, steady cam, and then he kind of brings it around. So, yeah, he he was definitely, I think, going for the shock value at the beginning. This is not your you know PG Halloween. This is hardcore that you're fixing to get into. Is the way I look at it. We've had some serial killers in real life, but nobody like Michael Myers. And so no. I think we're setting up <laughs> something that's next level here, right? I mean, that's right. He, he has to come from an odd family in order to get to where he gets to. I agree. But let me ask you this, Wolfman, when you said that, I've always wondered this since I've watched this, is what do you prefer? What do you guys prefer? I, do you prefer not knowing who Michael Myers was and he looked normal he looked like he had a mom and dad that was a normal mom and dad what little two sackets you saw him in the original or do you prefer him coming from white trash you know hellions i personally would prefer it to be like the original i think it's a creepier element thinking this was a six-year-old kid that looked like a normal family than rather having them grown up in a family like that i mean that goes back to what what i was saying originally that yeah they we don't know it seems like everything's normal. So what is it in Michael that snapped yeah. in that first movie? What is it that pushed him over the top or, mm-hmm. or over the edge? I guess not over the top, over the edge. Well, we're um, also seeing like this is Rob Zombie's world. Like, yeah, this it feels is, like yes. people in Devil's Rejects and stuff. Yes, so absolutely. <laughs> yes. we're, we're, he's saying, hey, this is my movie from the yeah. first scene. Yeah, he's yeah, saying this is me. <laughs> he's leaving his mark on it, yeah. See, I think if you've Ever, I'm not. This is going to sound kind of funny, but I'm I'm actually meaning it seriously. Okay. If you've ever watched Cops, you know that these people are real. <laughs> if you no, I'm I'm totally serious. You and are? if you if you read a Stephen King novel, you uh-huh. know this is exactly the kind of dialogue and exactly the kind of situation that you would read in a Stephen King novel. But because it's on screen and and Rob Zombie's Halloween, if if somebody else had done this instead of Rob Zombie. There'd be a lot less discussion about the the style and and whatnot of this movie if somebody had, had made the same movie, but because it's this rocker with dreads and you know, <laughs> it's it's I don't know I it's I really think 
I was born in the South as well and raised there. And these people are 100% legit. It is, I don't think it's – it might be condensed into a shorter time period, mm-hmm. but it's, it's totally real. Well, just as – just as an example real quick this is not a horror movie but if you guys have you seen winter's bone yes because because the characters in that film seem like the same kind of people as these except they seem like like genuine people that i could go to the ozark mountains and find those people and they actually exist whereas (laughs) these just like i say i was looking for Kristen wig in this scene somewhere but but Uh what were you gonna say josh i think to me the biggest thing is this is just grating like it's just annoying and ear piercing and just like uh stop like and but again like that can drive you crazy so yeah. <laughs> it was that screaming lori that was just that little screech of boo going <laughs> <laughs> but you know the other thing is um i don't know i just i just buy into the, I, I I like what Greg says. Like I I think that other way is creepier, but I do buy into this version of the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Josh said something interesting a minute ago about how um, you know, this is the beginning of a serial killer. It's how he started, and and I wondered if um Rob Zombie was kind of riffing on that because one of the most infamous serial killers, well, he he's actually a a mass murderer is what they called him, was Richard Kuklinski, the Ice Man. And he started his murder spree of his life th- the same way because in this scene we see um, young Michael Myers take care of this bully with a big stick, right? Teddy, right. Teddy Roosevelt right. style, basically. And and that's exactly how, how the Iceman um, started when he was like 14 or 15 years old. And um, that scene is strikes me as really disturbing. It, I find it really ups, upsetting uh-huh. and unsettling. I did too, and I think that was actually one of my. It sounds strange to say it, but one of my favorite scenes in the movie, just because of how, you know, I agree. Very well, at least the beginning was, yeah. And you wanted that kid to get beat up for what he'd done. I mean, it was like you, he was justified. Well, I wouldn't say justifiably right in what he did, but still, at the same time, if you're going to snap, it would be on that kid. <laughs> yeah, because those Spy Kids movies are terrible. He deserves them. Yes! Thank you! <laughs> That's what I'm saying, though. That kid scares me. Yeah. <laughs> and you gotta you gotta take what you've seen in the documentary and put it aside. I, I haven't... Chris told me about that, and it sounds really interesting, but I don't want to watch it because it's going to totally ruin this movie for me. Well, that's his best scene as an actor, I would say. I think there are other scenes where I can see through the veneer. You know, I think Sherry Moon Zombie is really strong in this movie, and I think mm-hmm. sometimes she's a little hit or miss for me, but I think she's a great actress in this movie. And what I don't like about her usually is I can see her acting, because yeah. there's the kind of acting where it's like, "Hey, I'm doing this little bit," and then you see the then you see <laughs> around the corners of that because of the editing or whatever. Like yeah. we get to see her as a real person around the corners of that performance. What she does in Halloween is she's just completely immersed and listening and there present, like reacting to what's going on around her. Mm-hmm. And that's real acting, you know? And I think Dig is doing the pretend acting still in this. He's he's trying to perform. And then I can see around the corners of that quite a bit. He is. I, but he's he good is. at the killing scenes because I think he's a little he think he's a little mental in real life. So But that's the whole point. That. 
is he's trying to act normal. He's trying to fit in in spite of what he is, yeah. in spite of this darkness that he is co- constantly dealing with. He's yeah. trying to be, you know, this normal 10-year-old kid. That, yeah, and, and, I, I think that's part of it. It's, it's how you interpret it, but it all fits in for me. It, it, I, I know what you're saying, both of you, and, and Josh, I know what you're saying with it does seem forced with his acting, but I always give, and Doc, you know I do this, I always give somewhat of a pass with younger actors. I mean, this was a fresh kid that was 10 years old, basically off the streets, put uh-huh. into a movie like this. So I do know what you're saying, Josh, but at the same time, I do give him a little bit of pass because he is a young actor. He don't look like it, but he's a young actor that... You know what I mean? So I do give them a little bit of pass on acting, but I do know what you're saying. Both. I of mean, them. the only I, I and I agree with you, Greg. I think you could do that to a point. The only one I don't is there's something about the little kid in the first oh, child, the play. first child's play. You know, look, mommy, I made you breakfast in bed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, imagine if you had a really talented actor like Haley Joel Osment, though, at that time. Yes. Like, yeah. how how much better would this film of Ben if you had just a killer not well no pun intended kid actor in this movie yeah. right. <laughs> but that may have took away from it too though I mean you got to look at it in that sense too yeah. sometimes if you bring in a polished actor it might take away that grittiness that freshness well, of it one, one cool thing about the documentary that I think you might appreciate one sick puppy is there are times where Rob Zombie talks about how Malcolm McDowell was kind of scared of the kid or kind of scared by how fragile he thought the kid was in real life. Mm-hmm. And so he spent a lot of time trying to comfort the kid. And like there were scenes where, he, you know, Michael's supposed to throw a fit and he really went there and it took him like hours to calm down after it. And Malcolm McDowell like was both simultaneously scared by the kid and took an active interest in trying to help him cope with kind of what they were doing and stuff. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I get a question for Greg Amortis here because he's such a purist. How much does it bother you that Judith doesn't die in her room? Is that a problem for you? Well, I mean, technically she did somewhat, even though she crawled the hallway. But for me, I I would say it, it, it don't bother me as bad as you might think. But at the same time, I do prefer, even though you, she was slutty because obviously she'd had the quickest sex in cinema history. <laughs> And that kind of deal. But in this one, it's drawn out more. And you're like, now, Hannah Hall, who played Judith in this one now, she you could tell this girl, they were straight up calling her a whore. She was slutty as hell. So with that, you know, but it, it didn't bother me as bad. bad. I did prefer the original kind of, you know, sitting up there being all prim and proper and then whack, whack, whack. And dead. <laughs> Yeah, where this one you were like, okay, she's slutty, she's this, she's that, but the, the, no, well, she's not like, the only one having sex there. Well, no, no, no. Slutty. We don't want to be using the word slutty. That's well, you know. there's a there's a man slut that meets his demise as well. So. Exactly. Do I go into the mask yet? No, nah, I'll hold off because I do have a major problem. Well, whenever you want, go for it. We're ready. Now, let me, let that, me just touch on let me just touch yeah, on one thing with what Greg was talking about because I think. Um, your question's interesting, Jay, and I think it gets back to that idea of the remake versus reboot. And I think there are a lot of awesome echoes of the first movie. Yes. And then they just kind of take it like, like you know, the closet scene in the first film is one of the coolest scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. I love that they get the look of that closet scene with like the lathe and plaster walls, but it's not in the closet. 
and you know, like there's the balcony scene from Halloween, you know, end of one and start of two. Mm-hmm. I like how they, they do a twist on that and kind of take it to the next level. All those little echoes of the first film were really fun, I think, as a fan to see like, oh, that's cool. He like he winked at us and gave us something a little bit new at the same time. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, definitely. And even the stab in the chest with Bob. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is in the fans, it is virtually impossible in the original or this one that that scene would ever pull out to where he could stab that butcher knife through his chest into a wall and hold him up. Impossible, but still <laughs> cinema movie making. <laughs> yep. Movie magic. Yeah. Movie magic. You take a four inch blade, eight inch blade, whatever, and you're going through a human's chest through a wall, holding them up. Nah, not going to happen. But anyway, it does look good on screen. Though. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yes. Now, um, and speaking of the kills, you know, number one, you get three kills within the first 23 minutes. Actually, four, I guess, right, if you count the bully, because you get, mm-hmm. um, so, and you know, that, so that's a lot of, uh, a lot of action, so to speak. And then, initially, I was, like, thinking, you know, what if, what if Rob Zombie, I remember the first time watching this through, I remember... I was thinking, what if Rob Zombie didn't make Michael Myers such an efficient killing machine? What if he wasn't so smooth at it? What if, what if he intentionally um, had him do a little more suffering and whatever? And that's what ends up happening. Like some of these, some of these scenes in this film are really, um, what's the word? I don't want to use the same terms all the time, but unsettling or whatever. Like for example, there's a kill in in Maniac in that movie Maniac that we all love. Um, it's like a strangulation kill. It's toward the beginning and it's really awkward and it goes very, it doesn't go very well. And it's, it looks like it's really hard to do and he finally gets her, but it's like, that's one of the most disturbing kills that I've seen just because it seems so real. And I think that this movie has that, um, for, for the most part, do you guys agree or disagree? Totally agree. I think most of the kills in this one are very realistic. I mean, with the the throat slit of Ron White character, you Mm -hmm. know, in the chair, the way they were able. And you can't, let me clarify this. When When you see the throat slit in that movie, you've seen it a million times. I mean, every movie does this in a slasher genre. You have that, that throat slit. But what Rob was able to do and what the makeup effects was able to do, you can't really see it as clear unless you really look. But when he slices that throat, pay attention to the blood flow. It looks like it's just a slice and blood. But if you watch, that, that blood is continually flowing in a, in a stream. Yeah. On the Blu-ray, it really comes out to where you can really see how crisp and how much blood is technically coming through that neck. Very realistic. The the blood splatter from the very end of the movie when Lori finally shoots Michael and that blood, I mean, she is drenched. I mean, all these kills to me are just very disturbing, realistic. Mm-hmm. And what, what Tyler Maine brings to this character mm-hmm. is awesome. I mean, I love oh, that. Yes. That scene with Ken Foray when he gets his jumpsuit, you know, the big Joe Grizzly scene. <laughs> There's nothing like that in a horror movie because you don't ever get a guy who has that kind of physicality that yes. Tyler Maine has. It is terrifying. Yeah. Like, you're just, you're, like Ken Foray yeah. is so huge. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then to think about a guy who can just, just you know, have his way with him, basically, it's it's terrifying. Well, now, I interviewed Tyler. We've interviewed him twice, and Tyler had mentioned in that scene in the bathroom stall, I mean, literally, the, it, it went hardcore. I mean, they didn't hold punches. He said when they first done the first take of it, he held back a little bit, and Ken kind of got a little rough with him, so he's like, okay, we're going this route. <laughs> so, I mean, what you saw in there was real punches throwing. I mean, he literally... <laughs> Rob wanted them to do one way, and they took it to the next level to where when they were done with that set, I mean, it was demolished, and Rob was like, you know, I'm glad I got it in that take because we would have had to rebuild the whole set. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they, they went hardcore, and, and it shows. I mean, it really yeah. shows. And that wasn't a breakaway bathroom stall. That was nope. that was like a real bathroom stall wall That's that they bend in half. Yeah. And apparently I mean, Ken Blue was neat. Oh, sorry, Ken ahead. blew his knee out. Tyler yeah. Maine's a professional wrestler or was a professional wrestler. So, I mean, these are two six foot eight, six foot nine guys going at it. And that's what you see. And it was amazing. Yeah. Thrilling, I would say, as a viewer, too, to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Totally agree. That's one of my favorite scenes, in fact, in this movie. What about the aluminum bat to the boyfriend's head and you uh, get the twitching on the ground? Do you think that's a, a little homage to Texas Chainsaw? Oh, I, I I don't know. I mean, we know that um, we know that Rob Zombie's a big fan of Texas Chainsaw. I mean, when he was decided to remake Halloween, a lot of people were pointing out how years earlier, when he found out they were remaking Texas Chainsaw, he came out against it, saying that's not a movie you can remake. Um, there's something about that movie that it just can never be remade. So we know for a fact he's a he's he's a big fan of Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Easy for him to say is the director of House of a Thousand Corpses, which is basically which is yeah, exactly <laughs> that was his take on on the whole sort of Texas Chainsaw world. That's funny, good one, Wolfman. That's funny, <laughs> Zinger. So what, so what were you the gonna? Whole, I thought the whole cast was great. I love Brad Dourif in this movie. What he brings to that character that I liked the original character, but I just think every character gets a little bit deeper here. And I love that about the movie. No, no, that's not true. Charles Sykes was way better as Sheriff Brackett. I like, don't get me wrong. God forbid you guys take me wrong. I thought Brad Dourif was amazing, but Charles (gasps) Sykes was to me. And that was my fault in this film. Charles Cyphers, I thought, was a better, believable Sheriff Brackett. Not that he Brad was, Dourif didn't do good. He was awesome, but I thought Brad Dourif was a better dad. Like, his, his, mm. the way he played this being a father, I thought. Mm-hmm. And in this, and, you know, in the beginning of part two, again, it's harder for me to remember exactly yeah. where that happens. But, man, the yeah, way he got, plays this as a dad is so good. I back you. I, I say I kind of disagree. And then my other one is a huge... Huge knock. I love Malcolm McDowell. God, see people going to start butchering me. <laughs> Clockwork Orange is one of my favorite films. I love Malcolm McDowell, but he was wrongly chosen for yeah. Dr. Loom. Amen. That's it's funny. I, I was going to say the same thing, and I was going to even say Greg Morris, the same movie. I'm a big fan of Clockwork Orange, but yes. yeah, Malcolm McDowell just did not do no, it for me in he this did film. Not he did not reach the level of, of Donald play since which you, sh- and, and there we go. We're comparing it, but still at the same time, you cannot not compare it. And yeah. I, he was so totally over the top, unbelievable one line zingers. And I just did not believe his character one bit. Okay. That to me is the weakest point of the whole movie. I is agree. 
Yeah. yeah. When I, I say that this is an, an improvement in almost every way, except, you know, Samuel Loomis, he yeah. is by far the weak part of this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's the only character that did not improve in this movie. As far as I'm concerned. Can I defend this for just one second, though? Because I agree with you guys. I prefer Donald Pleasance. (laughs) But but I actually have a defense for this um, that I think Rob Zombie intended. So I think, um, you know, as I mentioned, I don't think Michael's motivation is the same in this movie at all. To me, this is about bringing his family together, which didn't, you know, in the time of seeing, you know, the first film, we didn't even know they were family. Yeah. So he's got a completely different um, goal in this movie. And as we and as I said, I don't, we don't see a completely dark, bottomless pit in Michael as a child. We see, we see the uh, you know the possibility for evil and, and violence, but we also see empathy and love from for his mom and his sister. And we see all this stuff going on in this character. It makes sense that Malcolm McDowell or that Doctor Loomis would feel differently about him than he does in the first movie. I think that's one of the strengths of Doctor Loomis in this series is just this harbinger of doom of just saying like, you don't understand. He is terrifying, you know, like, but at the same time, um, that's not the Michael we get. And so it makes sense that Loomis has to change too, to make room for that. He's not going to say he's pure evil. He's going to say he's a messed up kid. And I think I can talk to him, which he tries to do a couple different times in the first two movies. Um, But I don't get the impression that, that Loomis, played by Malcolm McDowell is the kind of guy that would sit across a table from a kid for 15 years trying yes. to help him. Yeah. Well, he, uh, I think he did until he got sick of it and decided he was going to make something out uh, of it for himself. I, I think it's an interesting character. I think he's a, he's a selfish character. I think that that's an interesting flip on the character who was completely, you know, selfless in the rest of the films. I don't know. I think, I think I, I don't love it. And I do think it's a step down. I agree with you guys there, but I think there are some interesting things happening there. I, I well, would, does, sorry, go ahead, Greg. And I was just going to say he did have the British accent going for him <laughs> or whatever accent. He did have that. Me personally, guys, I don't know. I think Charles Cypher should have been brought in as Dr. Loomis in this film because that would have been cool. He looked like Dr. Loomis. He looks a lot like him. He knows the <laughs> character. I just, me personally, I think it was wrong casted. He he's more mm-hmm. of a polished actor. He's more of a theatrical actor, much like Robert England. Not that he doesn't do great in all his movies, he does, but he's more of a theatrical actor. You put him in this style film, he was just so out of place for me that Yeah. That's that, a great that, idea. That's a great idea to bring Cyphers back. I think like, you know, and it would mirror what they did with Daniel Harris as Annie Brackett, yes. I think. Mm-hmm. That would have yeah. been really cool. That's a great idea. Yeah, and I'm, I don't even know who you guys are talking about. Uh, <laughs> Sheriff Brackett from the original Halloween. Mm-hmm. He yeah. looked, he he now is bald with a with a yeah. great beard and yeah, he looks a lot like um, Donald Pleasance. But I totally agree with you about just how Malcolm McDowell was wrong in the casting from the start. Like yes. just putting aside his abilities, but just the mere look of him as an actor, he mm. kind of looks evil. He has this devilish <laughs> look to him, and I'm like, that guy shouldn't be Sam Loomis. No way. No. So, But no. Rob Zombie's got to take part of the weight on that, too, because the character yes. wasn't written right. That's the, that's the weak spot in the script as well as the actual execution of it. He didn't, he didn't write Loomis very well at all. Well, he had never seen Pleasant, so he was taking what was on the page and doing his own role. 
He didn't watch yeah. it. But Malcolm McDowell has got the skills. If he had been given something better to work with, I think, you know, he could have done the part. But it comes down to what's on the page. I mean, you know, he didn't ad lib 90% of his role. It's it's got to come down to Rob Zombie. And and I agree. And yeah, that and to me, I feel like maybe that zombie, you know, where Donald Places was as much about Michael Myers, you know what I mean? I mean, like, Michael Myers is, is Halloween. So he is, of course, the key character. But Dr. Loomis, Donald Place's character in the other Halloweens, was as much of a part of those films yeah. as Michael Myers. So I think Rob Zombie puts Donald Place, or Don, puts Dr. Loomis in this series, he's more of a, of a background character to me than he is up front. I mean, this is all about Michael Myers in this one. This is all about the family and it's really like, and Dr. Loomis. It's not that it's Dr. Loomis, Michael Myers. It's kind of Michael Myers family. Oh yeah. And we got Dr. Loomis as the doctor over here. He's well, I, not never saw, I never saw Donald Pleasance as a, as really a, I, it sounds wrong when I say it, but as a key character, he was more of a town crier to me. And he's just going around just trying to wake everybody up to what's about to happen, you know, what's going on. I didn't, there was no uh, depth or elaboration to him any more than there was Michael Myers or pr- pretty much anybody else in John Carpenter's movie. But they, this is one point where the backstory kind of fell short in Rob Zombie's is they tried to to make him more of a a, a full-bodied character and they he just made all the wrong choices. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. D Wallace was awesome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Did I just totally derail something? Mm-mm. No. Oh. No, we were just being random cuz we like D Wallace. I've loved her ever since Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to bang her when she was in ET. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've we've told before on here, probably in this same extravagant. That, some serious mommy issues there. <laughs> sick puppy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. they don't call him one sick puppy for nothing. That's the truth. <laughs> That's my doctor. Okay, Greg Mortis. Now you you wanted to talk about the masks. Let's get into this mask situation. Go for yes. it. What I was going to reference to was the the biggest fault I had, or not the biggest, Dr. Loomis is the biggest, Malcolm McDowell, but one of the faults I had in this one was the whole way they revealed the mask at the beginning of this film. The way that, you know, the, the boyfriend of Judith just pops this mask out and he's wanting to have sex with the mask. I said this when I first watched the movie in the theater and come out, and I say it today, it was almost, to me, blaspheming. Here's young Michael putting on the Michael Myers mask and standing there. It looked to me, guys, butcher me if you want, so stupid and out of place with this little kid with this big mask on. I know they're set in the background because when he comes back and you know, 15 years later, he digs it up and it's all dirty looking and that. But I just totally hated that when he yeah. put that mask on. I was like... Why did you do that, Rob? Let him put on the clown mask. Let him put on a, a pantyhose. I don't care what you do. Don't put on the mask yet. If there's not some kind of if there's not some kind of instant attraction to him, then it doesn't really make sense that he's going to wear the same mask for thirty years. Though, I mean, yeah. if he just saw it and and stuck it in a drawer somewhere, you know, then he could have worn any mask. You could have been changing them in and out. But there was something about that that 
made you know he wanted to put it on right then whether it was out of place or not he just it was part of him he needed to have it with him it was part uh, of him and we learned that he did like mass i mean even through all the 15 years of sanitarium and that he he mm-hmm. wanted that face hit but for me it's no different than in the original when he goes into a store and grabs a mask off the shelf people people criticize this they're like dude it was totally why would he go to you know a freaking hardware store and steal this mask out of nowhere well same sense where did this mask come from why is it this mask you know people need to look at it that way they want to criticize the first one for it just being a random mask well this was just a random mask that this kid had it makes no sense why the attraction to this one mask i don't know it almost seems like he wouldn't want anything to do with that mask too based on his killer instincts Well, this is even more controversial, perhaps, but honestly, you guys, maybe I shouldn't even say this, so I'm going to get killed for this, but I, in this movie, I loved those other masks he, he made while he was in that. The orange one? Oh, I agree. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, like he looked really freaky and scary to me. He actually reminded me a little bit of the, the wrestler Kane with the hair draping down over the front. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> that whole section we haven't even talked about, but I love that part of the movie. Like adult Michael in the in this asylum. I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Agreed, 100%. So I wouldn't have had a problem if maybe he wore some of those masks a little bit more during his rampage and then you know donned the famous white mask later but yeah but you knew he had to have that mask i mean it's you can't do halloween without that style mask couldn't he have gone couldn't he have just gone home to the location and found that still sitting there from the night of the murder like that could have been cool just having it still like a remnant of that night sitting in the house on the floor or something no but see it was important to him that's why he hid it it was, yeah. you know. Hmm. But now let me ask you this. Now, I'm really stretching, Doc. You're going to like this because you know I stretch stuff. <laughs> now, why in the world or how would he be able to still have this mask there? How would he still have a butcher knife there? When did he have time to bury this? He was a ret- you know, outside. He didn't have time to dig up boards in the floor. I mean, this 10-year-old kid would not have known how to break planks apart and put them back down. Would the police not have searched the house for a weapon? Would he have not? So there's a lot of no, like, that totally makes sense, though. No, I it, mean, does. He's, it does. There's he's been living a murder in a weapon. No, you got to think outside the box, man. <laughs> I'm not thinking out of the box. <laughs> no, see, you got to, you, you're, you're expecting the filmmaker to do all the work for you. You got to sure. think about these things yourself. This guy, this kid is. Tell it. Tell it. A whole backstory. One sick puppy. Tell it. The guy, the kid lives in this house, and if there's a a little hiding place or something like that, he'd be aware of it. We've seen this stuff, you know, countless times in other movies where you know a kid hides a little cigar box with his favorite toys or whatever in it, or you know, Mm. stuff like that. And. After he killed his family, he sat outside and waited for his mother to come home from work. And that's right. how everything was discovered. It wasn't like somebody called 911. He had plenty of time. But would the police have not found the butcher knife that he stabbed Judah 17 times or whatever it was? They would have searched that house through and through and found that butcher knife. <laughs> it's, it's possible that they could not have found it. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. You make a good point. You do. You make a good point. Jackass. <laughs> I see Sean ain't on here. I can't say jackass, so I'm going to call you jackass. I like you, <laughs> sick puppy. I like you, buddy. <laughs> I like having somebody to argue with, man. I, I'm doing this in a good way. I know you usually battle with Haddonfield Hatchet that way. Huh? Yeah. So yeah. Sick puppy, you're my Haddonfield Hatchet tonight. Jackass. That's not the you want to know be what in. that means, but that's fine. <laughs> it, it's honestly a good thing. So what? What about this, you guys? Um, one of my favorite scene. One of the things that creep creeps me out in this is when the nurse goes in to sit with Michael, and he grabs that fork and and just. I mean, and and what's amazing about that is what follows is you know as soon as his mom finds out about it or whatever. It, it's a really good dramatic story beat because you can see in her face, and I think this is what Josh is speaking to, her performance is really good, that she realized that he wasn't getting out of there. He wasn't going to recover. He wasn't going to come home. And um, she's watching that sad footage. And, and man, I mean, that's, that's a heavy, heavy moment in this film. And beautifully shot. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's tremendous. Now, do you guys, because Tyler Maine is so gigantic when we see him in the asylum, do you guys kind of wish that um, Dag Ferch had been a larger person, like a bigger kid? Do you think they should have cast someone different? Because is it a weird transition for you to go from, you know, Dag's size to this Tyler Maine giant? No, not at all. Okay. Yeah, he was a big kid, yeah. 10 years old. Okay. And it even makes sense if there's, you know, something hormonally out of order right. with him, then, you know, he could have, he could have gained that size and Absolutely. that could be a, a possible cause of at least a portion of his psychosis. Nice. I like that. What about, what about this? The fact that Michael Myers doesn't speak for nearly 15 years, they say, I, I feel like, Yes, number one, that's right, because, you know, he doesn't talk in the original film, so he's not a big talker, not a conversationalist, and so forth. But the thing is, because of that backstory at the beginning that bugs me so much, they kind of have to backpedal on that in order to get him to stop talking. And the other thing is, you would think that if he if he doesn't really speak for 15 years, that his voice wouldn't work anymore. But you still just hear because his he voice. doesn't speak to somebody doesn't mean he doesn't make a noise ever in those entire fifteen years. True, it just means he doesn't talk to his therapist or his his caretakers. <laughs> but the noises bug me a little bit. The grunts and stuff. I like a silent Michael Myers personally. <laughs> do you guys have a feeling on that or not? <laughs> I don't think it's I a mean, big deal. I do. I like. I, I prefer the 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 original. Michael Myers, I do, mm-hmm. but that's not to say that this. I, it's not to say that it doesn't work in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for the, this character in this movie, I think it works. Which yeah. do I prefer? Yes, I prefer the original, but uh, I still think it kind of works in this film. See, I just think that's nitpicking. How did you like his hairstyle in this film? Was, was that good <laughs> well, to you? Yeah. No, I no, did. I know what you're saying, and, and both <laughs> just, of you. I mean, you know, I totally. It's just well. Just, I, it gets to a point where you just got to just watch the damn movie. Well, that's true. But see, Michael Myers is such an iconic character. You know, he, he has become a lot. I mean, Greg Mortis is a good example. He has yeah. become such an important part of some people's lives and the character that he is. I mean, the fact that because to me, he's a he's a juggernaut. 
and he's just um this pure evil. I mean that that's my idea of him. And so the backstory bugs me, the grunting bugs me a little. I love Tyler Maine. I love having a giant as him, yes. but but you know, some of these little details, that's why they stand out, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, when you put a six foot guy playing Michael Myers as you do in the original to a six foot nine menacing, like you said, juggernaut, naturally he looks a lot creepier more intimidating as Tyler Maine, and I love that. Don't get me wrong. To me, I've said this. I It's a little bit scarier for me to have a six-foot guy that's able to do all his superhuman stuff compared to a six-foot-nine. Now, keep this in mind. I preferred the original Michael Myers because he wasn't about being a juggernaut. He was about stealth. He was in the background. He yes. was in the shadows where this right. one... He's out forefront. You know, he is a man on a mission, a beast, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's scary as hell. I mean, Rob nailed that. It is scary. Yes. But the original being in the shadows to me is scarier because it is creepy. It's like he's in the dark, and all of a sudden that, that way they lit it very backlit, and then you barely see him, and bam, he's there. That, that, oh. <laughs> I would just say Nick Castle is the perfect Michael yes. Myers for the film he's in, and I think Tyler Mayne is the perfect Michael Myers for the film he's in. Mm. Yes. Very yes. diplomatic of you, Wolfman. <laughs> yes. But, but, I, but I'm being honest, too. I'm not yeah. just, I'm not just. you know, I don't know these yeah. guys. I don't have anything to gain by saying that. I, I, yeah. No, I'm, I'm messing. Well, okay, here, how about this, you guys? This is one of the most brilliant aspects of this film. I think there is a stroke of genius in this, and that is... The Danny Trejo character, mm -hmm. he develops this fondness for Michael. And we see that from the beginning, he tries to kind of counsel him and, you know, take him under his wing. I mean, Danny Trejo's character has served some time, blah, blah, blah. And over the years, I mean, when we see this new worker, once Michael's an adult and this new worker comes in, is touching his mask and, you know, he's <laughs> scolding him and stuff. So obviously... It would make sense that this Trejo character would have gotten on Michael's good side that, you know, he would have some sort of relationship. But no, when it comes down wow. to it, he doesn't care about him either. And he takes him out ruthlessly. And I think that isn't as a masterstroke on this character development. Yeah. It well, you say Michael he's Myers a force of evil. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I think that's good. But um, so I compliment that. But I will say... When the way that he busts out, and maybe Josh can help me with this because, or, or Doc, because I honestly don't know what it is about the scene that bugs me, but the way that he busts out, you know, with the guards, it's like they filmed it like it was a scene out of the Bourne identity. It, it plays like an action movie instead of a horror movie. And that, that kind of, oh. that action escape bothers me a little bit it's like man i wish it would have been more horror-esque but i i honestly don't have the the words to articulate what it is that bugs me about it i don't um, agree with that i don't think you don't think it feels like the born identity whether when he's escaping i don't know i mean i just i i think i've seen the unrated version more which is also different so um it's yeah, it I've never seen the rated version about. of this movie, so I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm, okay. Well, yeah, there's a lot of deleted scenes that were took out. I mean, there's a whole cast of Bill Mosley's in this, and 
and yeah. a lot of new characters that's never showed in the theatrical or anything. So if you go back and watch the deleted scenes, there's a lot more killings that took place for him to escape so it would have gave a little bit more of a horror element to you Mm -hmm. yeah the unrated scene the unrated version is completely different escape Mm -hmm. scenario yeah i I guess maybe if i'm trying to pinpoint it put a finger on it um like the the way that he pulls the guard in front of him to to absorb the gunshot you know i this is not i know it seems so nitpicky i'm not nitpicky i'm just thinking michael myers should have just taken that taking that shot because he's so hardcore you know i i don't know 20 times i don't give a damn but it's but i could um you know it's funny i'm thinking of a scene from wishmaster Mm. where um he's he's there with this woman and and you know she he's like okay uh, he gives he grants her a wish and she goes okay blow your brains out yes so he shoots himself and then just sits there and smiles. He goes, I am, I am dead. Uh, you know, I am death. Therefore, I cannot die. But if it makes you feel any better, that hurt like hell. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes me, you know, I don't know that I'm guessing, yeah, maybe he could live through it, but I'm sure it's going to sting. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, so maybe he didn't want to take it. Touche. That's a good well, point. Well, he's showing, he spends so much time in this movie showing the, the human side of him. You know, you don't want to have him walking around like Jason through the whole thing. I mean, you got to save the hardcore damage for the end of the movie. And sure. I just, you know, is, is he human or is he not? And it's, it's just, you know, if you're, if you're working so hard with all this backstory and, and trying to, to show the humanity that exists at least parallel to the evil, then you gotta, you know, you gotta, choose it do you want it one way or do you want it the other mm-hmm. that's a good point i guess if it were up to me like if i could make a wish about this movie i, I think it would be interesting to see a version where he is not supernatural but he is just a really um scary serial killer and then see a version where he's strictly supernatural you know i, I would like to see both versions i think that'd be interesting so you're calling for another uh, reimagining? <laughs> no, not necessarily. But I mean, it, it would have been cool to see, like you know, two different. I I don't know, two different. Maybe tastes. you'll get that number three, Jay, that they're going to come out with. Maybe, maybe. What about Laurie Strode in this? Um, I got big problems with her character. But what do you guys say? Do you like Laurie Strode in this reimagining? Yes, absolutely. Tell us why. Well, for one thing, she's smoking hot, but I think she's really a great actress. Just the amount of misery and and just relentless just assault on her character, and for her to maintain the the level of tension that she does throughout this is just I think she's amazing. Wolfman, what were you gonna say? I don't like her in the movie. I mean, I think she's I think she handles all the horror elements fine. Um, but I think with the same criticisms you guys were saying about Loomis, I think where Zombie tried to change her character, which I don't fault him for, I just personally don't like this take on the character very much. Now, I, I do agree that you know there wasn't a ton for Jamie Lee Curtis to do in the first film, and I, it makes sense to give her more personality and more depth. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't like I don't feel like it makes sense for what I want this character to be, I guess. 
Jamie Lee Curtis was such a cardboard cutout in Halloween. I mean, there was nothing oh, special on. about her. Oh, no. no. That's no. the... No. Uh, no. No. Huge no. <laughs> There's going to be trouble when this podcast... No. Okay, this, this is my thing on this. This is with all three of the girls. I thought, Scout Taylor, uh, Sick Pup, you're right. Scout Taylor's an amazing actress, and she done really good. Don't get me wrong. I thought Daniel Harris, of course, is a, you know, very well known as a great actress. Maybe and her then, best performance in this, I would yeah. say. Yeah. And then you bring in the character of uh, Christina Cleed. All right. Now, my fault right here, Jay, is not only, like you said, Josh, I agree. I think Rob kind of played it wrong with the way that he done Lori in this one. Okay. But for me, the three girls together, like the scene where they're walking, you know, down that walkway. Yeah. All that seemed forced to me. Like, the dialogue was just horrible. I mean, the acting was horrible. I didn't believe those three girls as being best friends together, coming down that walkway. It was totally just not acted well at all. And that has to go to Rob, not to them, because they're great actresses. The the dialogue was horrible. Where in the original three, when you had Annie, you know, of course, Annie played by Nancy Loomis, and then you had P.J. Souls's. Of course, Jamie and then Jamie Lee Curtis. Those three meshed. They worked well when they were walking. You believed it. It was believable. These three, horrible, horrible <laughs> together, man. That's interesting. Well, I don't disagree with you. One great thing that Scout did that I was impressed with, actually, that I thought was kind of cool. Um, there's a moment where she's acting afraid, you know, for Tommy. And so she's mm-hmm. screaming. And I pay, I pay close attention to that because it's interesting because you've got an actress who's in a film pretending to be scared. So it's like two levels. And then you got to see her in other scenes where she's pretending to be like acting like she's genuinely horrified. And there's got to be a difference there. And there was, so I compliment her on that. But yeah, I think it's the writing of this character that bugs me. She's kind of a goofball and that's fine. I think that they should have just had her be a goofball, but she's, She's edgy. She's like too cool. She's got skulls on the back of her jacket. She's a little bit macabre. A lot she, of that she, was ad libbed too, according to you know Zombie. That like he he ran all of her dialogue past her and had her change things that she didn't think you know because she really was seventeen when they filmed the movie, and mm-hmm. so he allowed her a lot of leeway with her dialogue and you know and scenes that she came up with like the bagel scene and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, but now she's a tremendous actress, and I really don't. If you're a director or needing an actress, man, I really don't understand why she's not got more roles. She is a, yeah. to me, a very talented actress. True. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. So, what about the uh, ghost in the glasses thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about that scene. How did you feel? I think that was another one of those that Wolfman was talking about, where. You know, he gives us little nod to the original, but also, you know, we get something new. But did it bug you guys? Because this Michael Myers, you know, he doesn't, I he is so serious and hardcore and such a steamroller all the time. I'm really surprised that this this Michael Myers would take the time to do that. It didn't bother me at all. Oh, he I likes masks. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> I enjoyed that whole scene. That didn't bother me one bit. I liked the whole nod to the ghost Bob and all that. I, I dug it. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. That's cool. Yep. One of my favorite things in this entire film 
And um, I, I would like to have a still shot poster of it. This is going to sound so weird and nerdy, but the gun shop in this film is a perfect example of uh, what incredible production design we have here. Like when, when Loomis goes in to buy that 357 Magnum, that gun shop looks amazing. And for that matter, like all the sets really do. Do you guys like the sets? Rob Zombie's attention yeah. to detail is is one of the things that I like most about him. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with uh-huh. you, Sick. That, yeah, I totally agree with you. He is a nitpicker to the end, and he yeah. nails it every time with that 70s grime look, the way his, his cameras are set up and the way they're lit, grindhouse. That's what I love about Zombie, man. He is a genius at stuff like that. <laughs> That's the difference between somebody that's making a horror movie and somebody that loves horror movies. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. In that scene in particular, I was a little distracted by Mickey Dolan's. I don't think I noticed <laughs> the, the shop that much. But. Oh, next time, pay attention. I, I just love it to pieces. <laughs> Jay was looking at all the posters and the guns. I'm just like listening to the monkey's soundtrack in my mind. Like, what's happening right now? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Well, next time you watch it, seriously, pay attention because the camera starts up pretty high, like up in the gun shop, shooting down over, kind of like looking out over the shop. And it's it's an amazing shot, actually. So I thought originally I thought you said the gun shot where she shoots him at the end. And that is one of the coolest. Her her performance is insane. Mm -hmm. And it's so good. Yeah. No, I'm talking about the store where they sell guns. Sorry. I know. I'm Sorry. Just, I'm, just, I'm just transitioning. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. All right. What a, for what a trooper she was. So uh, should we start wrapping up here with our final thoughts and ratings on this? Um, does that sound fun? All right. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah that's, that's good to me. All right. Yeah, Jay, let's do that. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's kick it off with Dr. Shock. Tell us your final thoughts, whatever they are, and your rating on Rob Zombie's Halloween. Okay. Uh, it's it's a movie that for me gets a little better each time I see it. Uh, I start to forgive some of what bothered me initially about it, and it seems like um, you know after hearing Greg, uh, although he's come around, I, I, I went. I mean, I always enjoyed the movie. I guess Greg didn't, but uh, it seems to be one that that grows on you. Um, and uh, I liked it. I, I would give it uh, a, probably a seven point five. I did have a problem with. Uh, Malcolm McDowell. Um, that was probably for me the the biggest issue that I had with the movie, other than the backstory initially. But that's not as I, like I'm warming up to that a little bit now. But Malcolm McDowell still just doesn't work for me. So yeah, I'm going to say seven point five. I think it's one that's worth. I would say it's worth owning. I say it's worth having in the collection. Mm-hmm. Okay, seven point five. Buy it. All right, Doctor Shock. Thank you. And what do you say, One Sick Puppy? I say the only thing that keeps this movie from being a 10 is Malcolm McDowell. And (laughs) you really got to have it. Okay. Okay. So is it a 9.5 then or? No, I'm I'm not doing the 0.5s. I'm just going with the 9. Okay. And it would be a 10 if it weren't for him. And uh, Jamie Lee Curtis can't act her way out of a paper bag. Oh, kill I, you. I will kill you. He's looking for fight, son. You're looking for fight, I, that's, I, I can't even. I, I, where that's coming from, I wouldn't. Even <laughs> He's looking for a fight. That's all. That's funny. We love you once. <laughs> so you, you say it's a nine and then buy it. 
right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. All right. For me, this film is, um, I, I like it because it's gritty, dirty, ruthless, hardcore, scary. Um, and I love a giant Michael Myers. I I don't love the backstory. I, I especially don't love that, you know, Saturday Night Live skit at the beginning. But other than that, I think this is a worthy reboot. And I think it does honor to the original, which is really what, I mean, what more could we ask, right? You don't want to disrespect the original film. So it's a 7 out of 10 for me. And I say buy it. Um, what do you say, Wolfman? I, I could echo a lot of what's been said, I think. Um it's a great way to reboot a film. I do have problems with it. I love the backstory. I love um, adult Michael in the asylum. I love the intensity. I love the Tyler Maine in this character. My biggest problems um, are the performances of Malcolm McDowell, uh, Dig, Fersh, and uh, um, what's your name? Scout Taylor, Scout Taylor Compton. Compton, yeah, sorry, um, but there's so much more to love here too. Um, this, there's just some incredibly incredible standout scenes, especially in the unrated version. Um, Daniel Harris's, um, you know, near death scene, um, the uh, D Wallace death scene. Um, you know, all of those nods to the original film. I think this pays tribute in the best way while still being a Rob Zombie movie. Um, so I'd give this a nine and say buy it for sure. And I, I don't have the Blu-ray of it, but the three-disc DVD that I have is incredible. It's got a third disc that's just a three-hour documentary of the making of the film, which is one of the most complete making of documentaries I've ever seen, again, other than The Devil's Rejects, which is better. Um, but a great version that has both the unrated and the theatrical versions of the film. Nice. Okay. So nine out of ten. Buy it. Okay. And Greg Amortis, take us home. What do you say? All righty. I know I have bad mouthed a lot of this movie fans, and you're going to be shocked with my rating. But really, honestly, I'm a huge fan of Rob Zombie, huge fan of Tyler Maine and the Michael Myers character. I'm with you, sick puppy. Malcolm McDowell definitely hurt this film for me. But with that said, Doc, you know my ratings, man. And you know I love the Halloween series. And the, the Daniel Harris Wolfman that you was talking about, that whole death or up to almost a death scene was yeah. stellar. And, I mean, she was literally sick with the flu during this. And she pulled that off dramatically. But yeah, for me... And this is for Sick Puppy. Jamie Lee Curtis couldn't only just act herself out of the bag. She created the bag. So, bam. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Full of crap. Oh, God. Boo. Look at her IMDb and, and look at the crap movies she's been in. I don't know. <laughs> Let's she's see. The a- Frog, uh, Terror Train, Prom Night. I mean, you want me to keep going on? I mean, dude, she's an icon. Trading places. Yeah, she's an icon. <laughs> Fish called Wanda. True Lies. H2O, yeah, True Lies. Fish Called Wanda is probably her best movie. Trading Places would be second. Everything else she's done is just crap. She's n- she. Okay, moving she's- on, moving on. Cut his mic. Cut his mic. You liked, you liked her in Freaky Friday, though, right? No. <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> Christmas with the Cranks? Come on. <laughs> if she hadn't been in Halloween, you guys wouldn't give a shit who she was. Uh, she's getting Halloween H2O, too, so. Yeah. <laughs> No, nah, I mean, overall, though, I really do. I thought the, the, the backstory was great. 
to an extent. I thought they dragged it a little too far. They could have cut 20 minutes of that out for me. would have been fine, but I still, whatever. But I do love Rob Zombie's vision. I do love this movie, um, especially like Doc. It, every time I watch it, it does get a little bit better. I've rated this one before. I'm sticking with it again. This is a 9 out of 10 for me. A really great film that I think you should own on Blu-ray. Definitely, if you got the three-disc set, you know, I own it. Two different versions. The unrated, if you've never watched the unrated, you need to watch that unrated version. Yeah, It's a stellar film. It's definitely a really great start to a reboot of a franchise. <laughs> nice. Uh-huh. Nine out of ten by it. I just noticed I'm the lowest rating on here. I can't believe that. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Because I really like it. So, I, I, you know, a seven's a really good rating for me, though. And I said buy it. But little P.S. here on... I see on Jamie Lee Curtis's IMDb. I'm sure you guys, you big Halloween fans, all knew this already, but I don't think we mentioned it when we reviewed Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. She was the curfew announcer, the and telephone operator. She was the voice of those hmm, in, that, that. in that movie. Yeah, and if she had I been a good actress, she would have realized that. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, um. I know that Greg Amortis has got to get going, but we're sure grateful that he was able to jump on here with us again for Halloween. And Greg, could you just give us all your plugs, including your movie that you're in um, before you run? Absolutely. Uh, Definitely Land of the Creeps podcast. Check it out. Landofthecreeps.blogspot.com, iTunes, Stitcher, all them good places. Uh, Facebook, Greg Morgan, Twitter, uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, the movie I'm it's very small role in I am a red-faced devil in it that gets to scare the crap out of the main actress Maria D- <laughs> uh, Dallas Brown oh god you gotta watch it it's called Honey Spider coming out uh, they got a screening October 18th which has already happened if you're listening to this but there's another one November 1st in a small town of Hendersonville North Carolina close to Raleigh at a drive-in theater and then also on Halloween night and I think it is, and I'll send you a link, uh, Jay, but it is, I think, Wilmington, Ohio on October 31st. And I'll send you a link to that as well. So check that out. Other than that, man, I appreciate you having me on, Jay. You know I love you, Wolfman. Ow, 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 ow. Josh, you're awesome. Yeah. Doc, man, my, my sidekick, my encyclopedia of knowledge. And even one sick puppy, buddy. I love you, man. I got you. All right, but I love you, buddy. Take it easy. All, All right. right, Craig. Take care. All right, buddy. You have a good night. All right. Thanks. All right. <laughs> yes. So without any further delay, let's keep on moving into our feature review of Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. You've witnessed the birth of evil. Are you a giant? Now, the secret behind his madness will finally be revealed. Only a river of blood can bring us together again. On August 28th, evil is here. It's walking amongst us. Michael is more evolved. Rob Zombie completes his extreme vision of a terrifying legend. Kill her, baby. (laughs) 
Okay, Halloween 2 was released on August 28th, 2009, and it was written and directed by Rob Zombie. This film is obviously a sequel to the 2007 Halloween, and due to the timeline of this movie, it might be easier to simply highlight a few of the major events of the plot. In Halloween 2, we get flashbacks of Deborah Myers visiting her son Michael at Smith's Grove Sanitarium, and these flashbacks tie into recurring visions that Michael has of his apparitional mother dressed in white, while a corresponding mystical white horse accompanies her. <laughs> and we also get a rock star version of Dr. Loomis, who's still trying to find ways to capitalize and exploit his expert coverage and past associations with Michael Myers. We get a big fake-out scene as well. Michael Myers at Haddonfield Hospital, where Laurie Strode is receiving treatment after surviving an encounter with him. Michael pursues Laurie, and as he is about to overtake her, she wakes up. It was just a dream. And naturally, the majority of this movie is Michael Myers' continuing pursuit of Laurie Strode and his attempts to reunite the members of the Myers family, regardless of whether they're dead or alive. And just a little personal note here, you guys. I'm sorry about this, but we have associations with films sometimes, and it means something. When this was released that August of 2009, I was writing film criticism for a newspaper back east, but I actually had to review The Final Destination instead because the lead actor who plays Nick in that film, his name is Bobby Campo, he had a hometown tie-in. He was from Wheeling, West Virginia, so I reviewed it and I actually interviewed him about the movie, but it was regrettable that I didn't get to review Halloween 2 that week. So, um, the final destination, that's the fourth one, right? Um, what I think that's the, the fourth one, yeah, fourth or fifth. I forget now. I think it's, I think it's the fourth one, the one in the um, uh, race, the 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 yes. racetrack, yes, exactly. Ooh, that's brutal. Mm-hmm. What did the guy think when you put out your review? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think um, they loved what I wrote, but. You know, that's how it goes sometimes. Right. <laughs> so, speaking of not loving things, um, how, Wolfman Josh, how do you feel about Halloween 2? Don't like it. Why? I, I, like, I like the beginning. I like a big portion of it. And then it turns out the portion I like is a dream sequence. Yes. And then, and then I hate every single vision that Michael Myers has in this movie. I think they're ridiculous. Yeah. As much as I sing um, Sherry Moon Zombie's praises in the first film, I think her inclusion here it feels forced. There's no reason for it. It's not good. That's the worst part. It's just not good. Is it nepotism? <laughs> it's well, obviously. Look at her, look at her filmography. There's maybe two or three other uh, <laughs> blips on it that aren't Rob Zombie films. But it's like, honey, um, we killed you off in the first film, but we could have you back in in this sexy white dress, so you could just like stand there and look good. Yeah, it's ridiculous that she's in this movie. It's also ridiculous that uh, John Carpenter's score does not appear in the movie. Yes. Um. It just is ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's in the end of the movie, but whatever. Um, a big problem. Uh, but, but, I mean, I, I will say it starts out strong. Um, all of the stuff in the hospital, and you think, like, oh, cool, they're going to do the same thing they did in the original Halloween 2. I thought that was exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, in, you know, Rob Zombie fashion, he switches it up, which, you know, is cool for him. I think that's a good idea. 
but I um, I don't like really where it goes. I really don't like where the character of Laurie Strode goes as much as I disliked her in the first film. I really dislike her in the second film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but man, the, I will say the things I love about it are how great all that stuff in the hospital is, especially her injuries. You know, Laurie Strode is played by Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween Two, is drugged and has nothing to do in that movie. This hospital scene is insane and like so realistic and yes. so scary and and so painful to see like she you know she's got these like nails and stuff in her bones and you know the brace on her foot and especially the one on her arm and all the glass in her and apparently they had a real doctor on set helping them get all of that right um uh, that stuff was incredible but then to find out that's a dream sequence and then <laughs> hate, hate the rest of the movie that was a big bummer well and maybe dr shock can help us out with this historical um little tidbit but at what point in movies did filmmakers learn or realize that the audience had totally become sick of fake out dream sequences and stopped doing it because those lost their fashion a long time ago i can tell you what did it what it was dallas the TV show, the TV yeah. show Dallas. The end of da- the end of Dallas. Yeah, nice. I was saying Saint Elsewhere did the same thing. I think the last episode of Saint Elsewhere. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, but there was practically a civil war when Bobby Ewing walked out of the shower, and I don't think anybody did that for the next decade. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, you know what? I bet you're right about that because yeah. people hate that. I mean, do we not hate that? I remember, yeah, I was super bugged by that in this. But, um, okay, so One Sick Puppy, what do you say about Halloween 2? Because, by the way, P.S. Wolfman, I agree with every single thing you said. This is going to be a short <laughs> review, I think. Go ahead, One Sick Puppy. I like it. I think the, I think the, you get the direct sequel as, as well as getting what actually would have happened, like a more realistic take on it. And... I appreciate the fact that in almost every horror franchise, uh, you just move on to the next set of kids in the next movie, and it's even happened in Halloween. And this actually, you get to to continue with the character and see what these events of the first movie, what effect they have on their actual life. And I just, I love this movie. Wow, okay. And even the, you know, the apparitional like ghostly type appearances of uh deborah myers and young michael myers and the white horse yeah i'm not saying that that's actually you know required it's it's something that he thought of that was cool that that he put in but it's uh you know there's it's it's better that he gave some thought to what's actually going on in his head as opposed to just showing some guy walking around killing people all the time. Mm-hmm. And he is, he is, he's not in his right mind and he is pursuing this girl with a, with a purpose somewhere in his core. And who's to say that this is not actually what is going on with him. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, unless you're, say, I'm the one who is to say, <laughs> Well, unless you're going to sit him down on the Tonight Show and and have a discussion with him about what he's thinking, he you, you're going to have to come up with something that's that can be communicated visually. And I don't 
have a problem with what is going on here. I mean, who's to say what's going on in the head of a, a mental patient? I just told you, I am the one. <laughs> but Josh, but I mean, you got to defend that a little more because you know, I think one sick puppy has a point. Whatever. I They're mean, trying I mean, I, to depict what Michael well, like, Myers is, is, is experiencing. I mean, I think what I ended on is how I feel. It's just not good, unfortunately. Like if, yeah, I mean, you have, maybe you have, maybe you have to see what's in his head. I'm not sure that's true. But I think it should be good <laughs> when you do see it. That's you know that's subjective, obviously. But um, I don't know. I feel like at this point that he should have just made another Rob Zombie movie. There was no reason to make this movie other than a cash grab, in my opinion. And I think much like when John Carpenter thought up the, well, let's make him uh, her brother. I think this was Rob Zombie just stretching to come up with something for a sequel because he wanted the money. Really? No, I don't think so at all. I, I, I think uh, if you do your due diligence on Rob Zombie, I don't think that's his attitude at all. Yeah. That he just wanted the money. I think that's ridiculous. Well, well I, I'd say the film had to be made. He was probably under contract to do a sequel. Really? I, I know that the producers wanted the money. Well, well uh, see, I when I watch this film, even though I I don't like it very much and i'm really against the things that josh that you said you didn't like but you can i think you can tell that this is an artistic labor of love i mean i feel like he he was thinking this out and like the title card for example in the opening scene i i I don't get it i don't really get where and how it plays into the film because it's an excerpt from the subconscious psychosis of dreams and it says that white horse is defined as it's linked to instinct, purity, and the drive of the physical body to release powerful and emotional forces like rage with ensuing chaos and destruction. And it's like, what is that? And how is that supposed to help me with this movie better? But he, he Because what happened was he was driving to set, and he says this. He saw a horse. He thought, that's surreal looking. I should put that in the movie. And then he tried to tie it in with a title card at the beginning of the movie because it clearly was not playing well to audiences. Um, and test screening. So he has this title card. It's supposed to explain the whole thing. But huh. yeah, it doesn't, right? I mean, I don't feel like it explains it personally. But oh, it's dumb. It's like- <laughs> <laughs> so, so you don't think um, Rob Zombie's artistic, his artist's heart was in this movie, Josh? You think I'm it was not just- saying his heart. I don't think he wanted to make another Halloween movie. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think he tried to make something interesting. I I think he wanted to make Salem's Lot. You know, I think I don't feel like this is. I don't know. I didn't feel like he wanted to make another Halloween movie based on this. I think what he says is interesting about seeing what would really happen to Lori after um, experiencing something like that. I think that's cool. That's a good you know that's a good starting point for a film like this. But to me, um, this does not show the same reverence for the original films even his original film in a lot of ways so Hmm. i don't know that's a problem i have with it okay what do you say dr shock how do you feel about this um you know what there are some scenes in this i really do like uh i i do really like the um uh that the traffic accident scene you know where where they're driving in the ambulance and they've got michael in the back i really do like that scene i thought that was the cow yeah, when they hit the cow. <laughs> what the yeah, the cow's bizarre, yeah, but so still. random. Why not have Michael to be the one that causes all that death and destruction? That's so much more interesting than a cow. 
Well, because I think it was just unexpected. I, I think it was unexpected. That's I think that's probably what I, what I liked about it. You assumed it was going to be Michael, and I think he kind of threw that in as a twist. So I kind of like that. Because yeah. going in, you assume that's what was going to happen. You thought Michael was going to be the one to do it. And then he ends up, uh, you know, taking part in it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I did. Yeah, I did. I like that scene. Um, and, uh, yeah, the hospital is really good. I mean, that that's that's yeah. great. The white horse, uh, I wasn't really getting that whole thing either. I, I Yeah, it was, it was him trying to – it's almost like um, him sort of – giving us a precursor for something like um lords of salem in a way mm-hmm. saying okay i'm going to take these things in a, in a in a much different direction um so i i i can see why he was doing it to a degree i don't think it really worked for me either um i really disliked loomis this time around yeah his rock star I really really hated that character in this movie. <laughs> yes. Too flamboyant and yeah, rock star. Just, I mean, and it was so different from where the character was in the initial series. And that's fine. You want to change it up. That's fine. Other characters have changed too, but it was, it, it just, it was so far away. I mean, there was like, there's, you couldn't even draw on the map from, from Loomis in the original to, to this one in this movie. You know, I think there was, you can make the connection in the first one, but you just, it was completely gone in the second one. Um, yeah, because at what point did he go from being like a humanitarian who cared about his work to this this jerk, basically? Right. I mean, that was weird. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's fine. And then I thought it was good. There was a um, the scene um, like towards the end here with, was it um, Daniel Harris? And I don't want to go too much into it, I guess, but um, you can. We're in spoilers. Oh, that's right. We're in, we're in spoilers. With well, with something, ha- something happens to Daniel Harris, and I thought that that was pretty strong. I thought that, that was a pretty strong moment in the film too. When her father finds her dead. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that, exactly. And that's one of the things. Like I am, I'm a Brad Dorf fan too, mm-hmm. and I think he's, I think he he can be a, a great actor at times, and I think he, I think he shows. I think he shows why, you know, in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But, so I, there were things about it I'd liked, but, um, yeah, the Loomis character really annoyed me and the white horse, eh. and, and the whole thing, I guess, with Michael just kind of walking and, and, and traveling. Not, I guess it didn't bother me too much. Um, but well, yeah, you- the, the hallucinations and what just sort of, you guys keep saying how wrong that was. What should have been in its place? What do you mean? What? I mean, if you don't like the white horse and, and whatever for what was going on in his head, what I did think you want to see I think it should have been dropped completely. Yeah, me too. I don't, or, I, I don't you know, it should don't have make been the movie at all. I mean, we've never, why would we need to see what's in his head? Why is it important that we see what's in his head when we've never seen it before? Maybe that's why it's important. It's because you've never seen it before. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> See, you guys are after a totally different ex- movie experience than I am, apparently, because it's fascinating to me to to see something that, that could actually give you more insight into the character, you know, into his what state. You know, you know there's something wrong with the guy, 
Well, well he's a killer. He's murdering people, so that tells you right there. I don't need to see a white dwarf. Uh, the druids give you a lot more insight in part six, but I don't like those either. They're not those aren't the character to me, and the white horse thing isn't a, isn't part of Michael Myers to me in this film either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I when mean, it was an inter- it was an interesting idea to to try to do that. I, I'll give him that. It was definitely well, just an interesting idea, but it just didn't <laughs> for me. It didn't work. So one sec, puppy. Tell us where you're coming from when you watch. Because first of all, I love it that you appreciate this movie. Because I think there are a lot of people who don't, and it's good to hear perspective from someone who can, you know, appreciate it more. So tell us like how you experience this movie. You just take it and you think about what's going on. I mean, you don't have to necessarily. How are you supposed to approve or or say yes or no? This is this is what's going on in his head, or this doesn't make sense, or this is oh, just I, ridiculous. Well, no, you, then, you get you get me wrong. I don't give a shit what's going on in his head. Yeah, I don't see, that's, care that's, what's going on in his head because I haven't cared for the last ten movies. What's going well, that's on? That's lazy in his head. to me. That's that's lazy. How is I that mean, lazy? Just, Nobody. It's not. It's not even important. He's a killer. It is important. It's Why not is important it not because important? nobody's cared before. And who that's ri- gives a that's, damn? That's ridiculous. It's not I, ridiculous. I All a of damn. a sudden now we're supposed to care what's going on in this guy's head. And we're <laughs> seeing a stinking white horse. I didn't Why care didn't before because nobody cared to show me. None of the other filmmakers in any of the other movies cared to show me. Why would and I have a sudden say, showing you boy, and I want to know it. what's. <laughs> yeah, because it's stupid. That's no, my I, problem. I care. That's my it, problem with it. Is I don't care stupid? because nobody's ever showed me, but somebody showed me, and I don't care because nobody ever showed me. No, it makes what they absolutely showed me, no sense. What they showed me <laughs> that makes is no crap. sense. No, well, what makes no sense is what they're showing. It's stupid. No, you're you're not even trying to think about it, though. You're not even trying to Oh, appreciate okay. Well, then it. you yeah. know what? I'm sorry. Uh, well, yes, it must be good. Let me jump in I, here. My apologies. Doc, <laughs> you're just shutting off to it before you even because, try to consider it. I will say. it's stupid. Hey, guys, let me jump in here. So, so Doc and Josh, even though I don't love the white horse either, I do think you guys are being a little dismissive. Well, here's, here's absolutely. All I, go I'm ahead, Josh. Not, not at all. But go I'm ahead. I'm very interested in Michael Myers' backstory. I would say more than everyone else on the podcast, based on our last discussion. However, this is not a cool version of what's going on in this head. To me, this ruin this takes away from the franchise. All things I said about what Rob Zombie added in the previous episode, you know, or on the previous film, to me, this takes away, this is in part six territory. I, now we're dealing with Druids and bait and, you know, all this stuff that's just not interesting to me. And I don't think, I don't want to, I don't want to soak up any of this part of Rob Zombie's vision of Michael Myers. And I think one big difference, um, one sick puppy is that I care a lot more about Michael Myers than you do. You don't, you don't hold the, other films as like sacred as I do because I, I just love them as films and so like that world matters a lot to me and I don't like seeing it you know played with in a way that's not fulfilling for me. But if you've never considered the core of this character and what's going on besides him just walking around killing people, why do you care? <laughs> I have considered the character. I don't. I don't think that re- visual representation is interesting. Though. Like it's an artistic call. On Rob Zombie's part, he's he's trying to, you know, he's saying, okay, like, what he said in the first film is, this is about Michael trying to reunite 
these disparate elements of his family, the people, the core people that he really cared about in his family. That was super interesting to me. Him bringing them together in the basement of the house, all that stuff, I like that. Now I have to see his visions, and his visions aren't good. Like, they're laughable. You talk about a Saturday Night Live skit, Jason. Like, this feels like a Saturday Night Live skit to me. It's ridiculous. And so <laughs> it's just not executed. It's, it's poorly executed, and I, I think artistically it's, you know, you talk, also talk about lazy. I think this looks artistically lazy. It's just not an interesting image for me. Well, here, okay, let me just, this is going to be a little bit controversial, maybe, and I mean, no disrespect to the Halloween fans, but Josh, I'll put you in that camp as a, as a big hardcore Halloween fan. I, I almost said Halloweener, but I, 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 I <laughs> do it. I, no, no, no. I, do um, it. I refrain. Halloweeny? No, I refrain <laughs> from doing that. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to diss. So, but I, I do think that maybe Halloween fans make up their minds how things should be, or they have this like this mythos in their head. And Jason, every fan of anything does that. Talk about, you know, the Man of Steel with Superman, or right. Batman, that, Batman, you know, rises again, or whatever that last <laughs> stupid movie was that Christopher Nolan made. The Dark like, people, rises. Batman, you know, every fan of something has their version of what that's supposed to be. In this case, that's something that was created by John Carpenter, who I think is one of the great filmmakers. And I would say the first film Rob Zombie made is also another great thing. And to me, this gets it wrong. This takes right, what but, came before it and bastardized well, it. Well, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not a fan. I mean, I'm a fan of the Halloween series, but I'm not a diehard fan. I'm not a, a Josh or a Greg Amortis, mm-hmm. you know, but I do enjoy the series and I like the movies. And for me, yeah, this was just like, I, I just don't, it, it just seemed like it just didn't work. It didn't work for me. It didn't work. It, it didn't tell me anything. It didn't tell me anything about Michael Myers. I mean, you could say that everything that you guys are saying about this, you could say the same thing about Halloween 6. Like, let's go down this new road and find out all the stuff we didn't know about Michael. And if you really love Michael, you should love druids and you should love – like, no, I'm not interested in druids. That's not part of the story to me. Like, it's just <laughs> not what makes this character fun, you know? I think that's a – there's a difference between trying to figure out what's going on inside him and – you yeah, know, but they're equally they're, uncompelling. That's my problem. I don't to care. you? Yeah, that's who I'm talking about. I'm not saying what's compelling to you. <laughs> right. <sighs> so, yeah, I see that. So, well, as long as, and this is, I think, what's important, because I feel like that I've been open-minded about this film, and I just don't like the horse stuff. But I, I as long as I think we're approaching this film open-mindedly and we're willing to let it affect us like for example there are definitely affecting parts of this movie i just kind of wish they were you know put with the earlier movie like the first one but like for example when nurse octavia spencer when she is murdered in the hospital like we've been talking about the hospital scenes how that's tremendous that is um one of the scariest murder scenes that um i've that I know of in horror. I mean, that one really gets to me. And I think that in this film, Michael Myers, you know, white horse stuff aside, he seems like more of a monster in this film than in any other, more than ever. Like, and, and you get the sense, especially later in the film when he's causing so much torment, especially like with Annie, when you see that scene, when he's going after her, she has true horror on her face. And I don't know how, 
Danielle Harris conjured that, but she did. And it's like, okay, Michael Myers is a monster. He's a stirrer of fear, pain, and grief. He brings sorrow. And that guy's mission is just to bring pain. And I get that in this film. And I think that's pretty powerful. And I do too. I do too at some points. I really do. Uh, And I'll agree with you on that. Um, There are some parts of this movie that I do enjoy, you know, and I, that is one, you know, that's one aspect of them. Mm -hmm. You know, one one of the things I do like, I agree with you. Yeah. So, but one of my, um, I had a couple other problems though, too. I'd like to talk about like Sherry Moon um, again, like, one problem is I think she's a more tender mother in this film than what we saw from her in the first film. And that that was kind of problematic to me. Did you guys feel like she was portrayed as being more tender and more normal as a mother? Well, I think this was more, okay, going back to what we're talking about, this was more Michael Myers' perception of her, right? Because it was sort of in his head. Yeah, that. Yeah, I guess so. That's so. A good I point. think that's probably why, because it's his nice. interpretation of her, as opposed to the reality of her, which we saw in the first film. You taught me something right there. That's very good. That's a good point. Okay, I will concede that then. <laughs> how about this? Uh, another thing that really bugs me about this movie is how and why does everyone, you know, since they're assuming that he's dead. Why were they okay with not being able to find his body? Like, they couldn't find his body, and then everybody's like, well, he's dead, don't worry about it. Even though his dead body is nowhere to be found. Especially clearly. Loomis. Clearly well, that's, that, that's, the, that's the mistake they make in every one of these. Going back to the 80s, they make that mistake in slasher movies. All, but all, know, all always he, at the bottom of the lake, he won't come back. All they needed to do, though, to fix that is just have a throwaway line about... Well, maybe he was injured. Clearly, he was injured badly, and he probably wandered off in the woods and died somewhere like a deer, you know? Right. I mean, anything like that would have appeased me a little bit more, but that truly bugs me about this. What about Weird Al Yankovic's cameo appearance in this film? How did you feel that goes over? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't think one way or another about it, to be honest par, with you. par for the course for this movie. Well, I- <laughs> I'm a Weird Al fan, so I liked it. Yeah, I like him too. But one, I, I, I like Weird Al. One thing I wish they they hadn't done is like, because like I said in an earlier podcast, I wish people would stop calling him Mike Myers, um, Kyle Bishop. But no, because he even mentions in here, Weird Al says Austin Powers, Mike Myers, you know. And I'm like, oh no, th- don't bring those together in our heads during this movie. <laughs> that that really bugs me. Another- it just goes to show what an asshole Loomis is if <laughs> Weird Al is taking him, you know, down a pig. It's, you know. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> yes. And, and my character, his character definitely was that in this movie. There's no doubt about it. And, and my last big complaint that I'll just bore you guys with is that um, the fact that Michael Myers, who is obviously obsessed with wearing masks, at least up to this point, but in a lot of this movie, you get Grizzly Adams Michael Myers, who's just wandering, you know, through fields, and he just has this big beard, and he's wearing a hood, and it's like, that's not really the Michael Myers I know. Does that bother anyone? Uh, no. I love that. I and I, I, that's probably yeah. controversial among Halloween super fans, but I love Michael on a hoodie. 
I love Vagabond <laughs> Michael with the giant beard. And I, I yeah. part of that's Tyler Maine's physicality and how badass he looks. But I'm, I'm 100% on board with this version of Michael Myers is portrayed by Tyler May. And to me, it's so gritty and interesting. Um, you know, that's something new that was brought to the table that I absolutely love and okay. revel, revel in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you dig, do you dig the Grizzly Adams, Michael Myers, one sick puppy? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. All right. Well, that's, um, if, unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about with this movie, I mean, I, I mean, we can. I think we can wrap it up. I think we can wrap it up. Okay. All right. Um, so we'll go with our final thoughts and then ratings. And I'll just say, I think this has some of the most brutal, most monstrous Michael Myers scenes in the entire franchise. And so for that reason, I think this film is notable, at least. I mean, I don't think we should totally disregard it and cast it off or anything i mean some of these kills in here kind of stick with you and um you know they kind of haunt me to be honest and so you know despite all the other complaints though i think that's that's noteworthy because the fact that they make him a monster in this and that that humanizing that happened in the previous film that i i didn't like he gets dehumanized here and I think that's cool. So I give it a 5.5 out of 10. And I say Halloween 2 is a rental. So what do you say, um, Wolfman Josh? Um, I think this movie starts out strong. Um, and I, but I don't think it, that is sustained past the 26-minute mark or so. Um <laughs> I wish it didn't exist in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think it's kind of like, um, you know, there's a lot of good stuff here, but it's hard for even those really great things to overcome, you know, the nipples on the bat suit or the, the Jar Jar Binks that is, you know, these white horse scenes. And, the, and so uh, for me, it's just, you know, it's just uh, it's the worst version of something I love. I give it like a four and I think it's an avoid. I just kind of wish it wasn't there. Mm, okay. Four and avoid. And what do you say, Dr. Shock? Oh, I'm going to probably come in a little higher than that. Um, but the things I like about it. Yeah. I, I've already gone. It does start off very strong. I did like the hospital scenes as well. Um, what I, this, what I disliked about it. I mean, even if I was interested in seeing what was in Michael Myers head and I do understand, you know, I don't fault Rob Zombie for going in that direction, but even if I was interested in it, I wouldn't be happy with what we saw in this movie. I just don't think it was shown very well. Um, and the, the Loomis character was really, really something. And then, um, that sort of ending, um, uh, scene that they had there. That's so uh, Lori Loomis and yeah, it, it just, yeah, it didn't do it, but I'm still going to commit because I, I agree. I think there are some very brutal moments in this, in this movie. And for that, I do think it's worth checking out. So I'll say it's a rental. Um, yeah, I'll probably, I'll say probably with you 5.5. I was even thinking of maybe going to a six, but I'll go with a 5.5. Okay. Yeah. So, all right, and one sick puppy, what do you say? You guys make me want to rip the skin off my face. <laughs> well, don't stop on our account. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> I wish I hadn't quit smoking. But uh, the, I like this movie. 
And I'm I always watch this as soon as I watch the first one. So I give this movie an eight, and I say buy it. Eight and buy it. Yeah, I like Even it. Some people like Predators versus Aliens. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's cool. I mean, I'm glad I'm glad you like it. I think um we'll have to ask him. I think Haddonfield Hatchet likes this, right? He does. I I, I think Haddonfield's a, a fan of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, so. when I asked him about it, he said I wouldn't call myself a fan. <laughs> well that's true. That's but true. I like it more than most people I know, is what he said. Yeah. Um, that's you true. know, I Justin Beam though, who's you know, friend of the show and especially Land of the Creeps, um, he recently, like start of September on Facebook said, hey, what are your favorite Halloween films top to bottom? And, you know, you had like 100 people posted on there, their films, and ranked all the films. And um, I was really surprised. He put Rob Zombie 2 above 5, above H2O, and above Rob Zombie 1, which kind of blew my wow. mind. Wow. But um, it's, he has this ranked fourth among his favorite Halloween movies. Interesting. Wow! After seventy-eight is his favorite, then three, then two, then four, then this. Three is his second favorite. Yeah, <laughs> that's wow. that's wild. That's yeah. really interesting. So, so do you guys? Then six. He likes six. Also better than five H two O and Rob Zombie one. That's I, I kind of like six too. But any They're weird. So here's the thing. <laughs> um, sorry. Final questions here. I I just thought of this. So. Are we to understand at the end that Laurie Strode has gone the way of the Meyer psychos, and 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 if so, because that's my that's what I take away from this. And if so, um, do you guys want to see a third romp zombie Halloween movie? Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I I, 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 I want to see I, five I, more Rob Zombie Halloweens. <laughs> nice, and I hope they all have white horses in them. <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't agree with you, but I wouldn't mind seeing. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him take another stab at it. Oh, that's hilarious! I'd, I'd have preferred to see Sarah Moyer back. I think you know, one film was amazing. I wish he just left it at that and gone and made his own, more of his own movies because he does that better. As much as I like, you know, his Halloween, I think he makes his own movies. Um, his own movies are more interesting. So he made yeah. Halloween his own movie. That's the whole point. Yeah, and Halloween two, he made too much of his own movie or something. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't think he needed to make another one. I don't want to see a third one for sure. Um, I think you know, if we have to reboot the franchise, that's fine. I would be okay with going back to Sarah Moyer as a protagonist. I, you know, this is how they what they did with Halloween four, basically with Daniel Harris, and then they backed their way out of that. So I don't, I don't really see them going this direction. They don't want anybody else. To be, can you imagine? Yeah, like, we want Scout Taylor Compton to be our new. No, that's not going to happen. They want mm. Michael Myers in the mask. That's what sells tickets, right? As they say in this movie with Doctor Loomis, original Doctor Loomis gets twenty five percent more at the box office, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and original Michael Myers gets about seventy five percent more. I'm sure. So, but yeah. if when there is a third movie, and you know they're going to make more movies of Halloween, yeah, but no, I don't think they'll continue this one though. I I know, but I'm just saying that when the next one comes out, you're going to see it. Don't lie. It's been quite a few years though I mean, oh, i'm not saying out. as long as rob zombie is not making it that would be awesome but i mean this this <laughs> when did this movie come out Was it 2009 yes yeah i mean so we're going on five years now since they've the been talking one. about how well you know this was a, the first movie was a huge hit it was like the fourth you know highest in terms of um box office of any of the movies and 
it was the highest grossing, just not when adjusted for inflation. But this movie was not. This did like seven million worse at the box office, I think. Oh, the okay. first one. Well, that's so. that's probably. But it's funny because even with some of the other ones, like didn't um, the new Nightmare on Elm Street um, do very well in the I theater? Think, I think it did. Actually. That's the Platinum like a- Dunes guys, though, and they're they're a different group than this is the Weinstein's. I don't know. The, right. The Weinstein's have had Halloween 3D on their docket for years, and so I don't know if it's ever going to come to pass or what. But Rob, Rob Zombie's talking about making a Charles Manson movie right now. Oh wow! Yeah, he's working on something. I was looking the other day because my my son was asking if if he was working on his. Um, he's talked about he's going to make a Broad Street Bullies movie yeah about the philadelphia flyers which would be great because we're you know we're philadelphia and we're big fans of the flyers and he was asking you know is he still and it, right now that's not even showing as in production or anything so he's not you know working on that now what was the movie he's got uh currently he's crowdfunding a movie i think it's called 32 31 yes like i think yes 31 31. Mm-hmm. 31 that's what it is and it says it's in pre-production doesn't really say much about well Five people are kidnapped. This is IMDb. Five people are kidnapped in the days leading up to Halloween and held hostage in a place called Murder World. While trapped, they must play a violent game called 31, where the mission is to survive 12 hours against a gang of evil clowns. I like that one. It was called The Running Man. (laughs) (laughs) The Running Man? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Sorry. No, it sounds, but that could, that's, uh, you know. That could be interesting. It doesn't sound, it sounds like this is more of an original, and it is an original. He wrote it. So this is back to sort of an original Rob Zombie. Um, and I'll be interested to see that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. But, you know, but, and, and I'm not one of the, I'm, uh, I'm not one of the ones who, I know a lot of people, I know Boss Butcher really hated um, Lords of Salem. Me too. I was one of those and guys. And you're one of the people who hated Lords of Salem. Yeah. He hated it. Yes. No, see, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I can't say I hated it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. It, what he was trying to do. Um, it's very different from anything he's done before though. Yeah. All right. So um, that concludes then our review of uh, Rob Zobby's Halloween two. And so um, I hope everyone will join us for our next episode when we do our entire Halloween franchise overview. But before we go for the evening, I just want to thank our special guest one sick puppy for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you, sir. And I just wonder if yep. you could just tell the listeners where they could hear more of your podcasting. Yes, uh, you can find us at deadashellhp.com. We're on uh, facebook.com slash deadashellhp, uh, at deadashellhp on Twitter. It all stands for horror podcast, so it's easy to remember. And we're on Stitcher and iTunes and Blackberry and Zoom and your mama and everything else. So thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Yes, it was a pleasure. Um, we're glad you were here. We hope you had a good time with these bunch of Halloween ruffians over here. That <laughs> uh, <laughs> was good. All good stuff. All right. Good night, gentlemen. All right, guys. You take good care. Night. Take her easy. So thanks for everything. Little side note here before we wrap up. Tomorrow, the day after this episode releases, is October 25th. And that's the one-year anniversary of Horror Movie Podcast. Episode 1 was released on Friday, October 25th, 2013. So we're excited to have brought you one year of Horror Movie Podcast, and we thank you for supporting our show and for being a part of our community. So here's to another great year ahead. 
And just a random note about these Halloween extravaganza episodes, I've been amusing myself with the MP3 artwork, so if you download the MP3 of these episodes onto your desktop, for example, or if you just simply view the episode artwork on your mobile device, then you can see the images that I've been choosing to represent each episode. Okay, well that just about wraps up episode 30 of Horror Movie Podcast. You can join us again next Friday, which is Halloween Day, October 31st, for part 5 of our 5-part series, when we'll be bringing you our entire Halloween franchise overview once again. Just wanted to mention that we'll be talking about the documentary Halloween, 25 Years of Terror, and maybe a couple of other tidbits as well. We'll see what kind of surprises we can bring, but I hope you'll tune in for that as well. Even though, you know, we're not reviewing the individual films anymore, we got through all 10 of those tonight. Well, by tonight. And, you know, now we'll be kind of reflecting on the franchise and how it interrelates and so forth. And we got some Halloween experts to help us do that. So it'll be good. And once again, we just want to thank our guests that we had this evening, Greg Mortis of the Land of the Creeps Horror Podcast and One Sick Puppy from the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast. We'll have all their links in the show notes here for episode 30 at horrormoviepodcast.com. You can find all our episodes there at our site, and you can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. Wolfman Josh and I have another show about films at moviepodcastweekly.com and you can follow Josh on Twitter at Icarus Arts. You can find Dr. Shock's outstanding movie blog at dvdinfatuation.com and you can follow him on Twitter at dvdinfatuation. And by the way, over there on his blog, he is reviewing a horror movie every single day for the month of October. So that's pretty exciting. And those are all newer horror from the year 2000 onward. So, you know, stuff from the aughts forward. So check that out. And I have just a couple of quick plugs here for those who want to listen to some more horror content for Halloween. I made a guest appearance on episode 43 of the Geek Cast Live podcast where I gave a wide spectrum of horror recommendations for the October Halloween season to a bunch of people who aren't necessarily horror fans. So it was really a fun show. It was funny to hear their responses to some of the things I was talking about. I think it would amuse you guys and gals. And I'd recommend listening to it because there's some great picks in there. And I'll have it linked in the show notes here for episode 30. Also, check out my guest appearance on the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast, where I help them review 280 slasher flicks, The Prowler and Madman. And I'll have that linked in the show notes as well. And you can find Dr. Walking Dead, our fourth co-host, Kyle Bishop. You can find his book, American Zombie Gothic, at Amazon.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at Dr. Walking Dead. That's D-R, Walking Dead. We want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song. And you can find Fred's music at frederickingram.com. And don't forget about our Fright Rags Horror T-Shirt Giveaway. You can enter to win one of two free horror shirts courtesy of Fright Rags. We've got a Dr. Tongue Day of the Dead shirt and a Splatter University shirt. You can check them out in the show notes for episode 30. And all you have to do to enter is to email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and let us know where you're from 
and your top five favorite Halloween movies in order. And we're going to use the where you're from information for the back of our very first horror movie podcast t-shirt. So we want lots of submissions and we still haven't had as many as you might think. I'm not just saying that. So there's still a great chance of winning. So seriously, write in. And remember, we're going to announce the winners next Friday in episode 31. So be sure to email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for episode 30. So thanks for listening and join us again next Friday for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.